get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come all the way back, you'd bring up Tommy Edmund. Driven toward left. He went down and combed that in the left. Wind's gonna streak toward second. The throw's gonna be late. And now we're in a spot where a single could tie the game. Mason wins second double of the year. Yeah, it's a big at bat to extend that inning. Um, we're gonna continue to see. I mean, the combination of what Wynn and Walker did today, we're gonna see a lot more of that. Driven to right. Well hit. Tatis back. It is gone. It is gone. The Cardinals have won it. Man, it's just nice to hear Chip Carey happy. You know, if there's one guy you feel bad for, it's Chip Carey for what he's had to go through this season with this Cardinals team. I've had to go through it. Well, I don't feel as bad for you. I feel bad for Chip Carey. We feel bad for BT, but not now, boys. The Cardinals are on a winning streak with Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. They're on a winning streak so much, T-Bone, I put a Cardinal shirt on today. Oh, did you? Because I said the combination of Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, boy, they've put exciting excitement back into Bush Stadium. That is true. I wore a Cardinal shirt today, but I'm wearing Illinois State, so yeah. hopefully they're good. Wrong Cardinals. Grant at least wore red, so we're on. I got That's my got Cardinals, Cardinals hat. hat on. Okay, so see, the three of us, well, two and a half of us are back on board with this Cardinals team, but that, of course, was courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest from yesterday, where the Cardinals took down the Padres, walk-off fashion once again. Tommy Edmond, the hero, you've won back-to-back games, but I don't even care about the winning as much as I care about the guys involved with it and that's Walker and win with the production Walker yesterday going four for four home run three RBIs double was a triple shy of the cycle boy that would have got T-Bone more excited than just laying down the bunt like Palacio can't beat the bunt and then you get Mason win and the Mason win one was just as impressive if not more impressive for me for a guy in that position bottom of the ninth to lead things off and put him into scoring position with his speed but the combination of those two as you heard Ollie mention in that return the combination of those two are starting to give Cardinals fans the ability to dream again and throughout this season I think it's been very difficult for a lot of Cardinals fans to get excited about the future of this Cardinals team sure Walker was there sure Gorman was there but it was well these guys aren't the answer and they got to figure it out and they got to make some massive changes now you're looking at this team a little differently, and I know it's only two sample sizes, but we've seen Jordan Walker all season. Mason Wynn, we've seen him dominate in the minors, T-Bone. 
Now you're getting to the point where you're saying, okay, you've got two young players that are going to be massive pieces for this team moving forward. Yeah, and we all knew they're going to be that. It was just a matter of how quickly will they become that. And I, I think with Walker, there's a lot of great signs to see what next year holds for him. I mean, he is hitting for decent power with that home run 12 now on the year. He's 9% above league average, and he's only going to get better. Mason Wynn, like, well, we knew his bat was going to struggle when it got up here. It was going to take him time to adjust. But to your point, yes, that at-bat yesterday against one of the best closers in baseball, if not the best closer in baseball, yeah. down 0-2 in the count, and you're willing to go down there and get that slider and chop that thing into left field, and not only just hit that ball into left, but take that extra base as well, which it didn't end up mattering because Edmund hit the home run. But, but still. it puts you in scoring position in case it's not a home run for Tommy Edmund and it is just a single. You have a chance to come around and score. So the fact that both those guys, Walker more so than Win, but Win did a great job to keep that game alive yesterday, taking over a game really for the first time this year where you looked at Walker and went, wow, four for four. As you mentioned, the three RBIs, the double, the home run. That was the first game in which we've seen Walker really just say, all right, get on my back. I'm going to carry us to the finish line. He tied the game at three, does a great job throughout the day, and then when coming through, like you can start to see why the Cardinals' front office was so kind of excited about both of these players. And I, I think for a win, it, it doesn't so much matter to the bat. Like Whatever you get out of the bat is a plus for this year and probably honestly even next year. But his defense has been great. It's been as advertised. His his base running ability, the speed has been as advertised. And one guy that we haven't even thrown in this because you didn't even see him, like Nolan Gorman having a great second yep. year too. Like that, those three are the next big three here in St. Louis for the Cardinals moving forward. The next MV3? Well. Okay. I'm sorry, Win, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But look, our good old Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. By the way, you can also check us out on YouTube, our YouTube channel, at 101 ESPN SDL. But they're keeping me honest, T-Bone. They're making sure that I'm not a hypocrite on these airwaves from the 314. Ferrario, weren't you just talking about this lifeless offense two days ago? I was. And the offense, although still inconsistent in for my liking, I'm more optimistic about it because, and I texted you last night about this, I, I feel like there's a clutchness ability that is needed in this Cardinals team. And I know you've got Arenado and Goldschmidt who seem to always come up with those big hits for this team, but those secondary pieces that can come up with the big hits, the big plays, that the moment isn't too big for them. I think you're starting to see that with Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn. And I think that is necessary for this Cardinals team to have younger players who have that ability. So, yeah, I can talk about this offense being lifeless and I can talk about it being inconsistent. But on the same side of my mouth, I can talk about the young players that were a part of the inconsistency this season that also have shown signs of. I don't want to say greatness, but signs of ability to win games for the Cardinals in big moments, which in the last few seasons, which I've been critical of, they have not had those guys. Yeah, I, I don't read too much into the runner and scoring position thing yet for both Walker and Wynn because it is so early on in their career. And like we've talked about this, I this year for the Cardinals with runners in scoring position and mostly with the bases loaded where they're just awful at it. Um, I, I think part of that is luck. I don't think it's so much approach anything like that for St. Listen, I think it's just an odd year for the Cardinals when it comes to runners in scoring position. But with Walker and Wynn, it is encouraging to see these guys really starting to develop. You're start, I do think Wynn has looked better at the plate recently. I 
He seems more comfortable. And he told us that. He said, he's like, I'm a slow getter out of the gate wherever, whatever league I'm in. But after I get comfortable, that's when I start to have success. And with Walker, I mean, Ollie said it post game yesterday, he's starting to lay off the slider a little bit more, which is a good sign to see. Like you're seeing those slow progressions or these uh, slow developments from these players and learning at the big league level. Remember, that's why I was so high on Nolan Gorman coming into this year. You saw him make adjustments at the big league level. Now you're seeing that from Walker and Win, And I also love too just the kind of to your point on clutchness. They bring just a different level of energy to the to the ballpark. Jordan Walker in the dugout yesterday when Mason Wynn got on base in the bottom of the ninth. That's the most excited I have seen that young kid all season long. Yes, and I, I think because those two are so close, which they've talked about at nauseum, those guys being like best friends, bringing that kind of energy. And this is without Newbar. Newbar's not even on the field yet. Now you're now you're starting to feel kind of that. I don't want to say like Tampa Bay Rays vibe where you get all that excitement around that team. Yeah. And all, you got guys with like energy like Randy or Rosarena, but it doesn't. It's not going to feel as lifeless, and it really won't feel that way if you are playing meaningful baseball next year at this time. But I, I do love what they bring to the field, not just their abilities, but also just kind of that excitement level that they seem to be bringing right now in a point in which, yes, to the text line's point, two days ago, we were all all three of us were heavily criticizing, saying they looked lifeless. Yeah. They needed those two wins, even though it doesn't mean anything in the long run for them. They just needed those just to put some good vibes back into the yeah. clubhouse. It's hard to see the sun through the storm right now, but those guys are giving you that ability. And look, the other guy that at least made you feel better about where he's at is Miles Michaelis with his performance yesterday. We talked about him on our rewind before we ended our show about how concerned we should be with Miles Michaelis because he's been getting hit around a lot and he's not looking like that number three that you're projecting him to be. So with his early struggles so far in August and really with yesterday, he finished the line yesterday with six innings pitched, seven hits, three earned ones, two walks, and two strikeouts. So although Miles has been letting guys on base and giving up more hits, found his way through that to get a quality start. So I, I'd still say the concern level is there. You don't want to just sit there and act like Miles Michaelis is a number three. But if there's one thing he's shown you, it's the ability to get out of jams multiple times this season. Yeah, and again, it's going to depend on his finish to the season. He's probably got like five more starts, I'd say, is probably how many more he's got to go. But yesterday was, I, I'm glad to see he was able to bounce back from that second inning where he gave up the three runs because I remember I think it was during the rewind he just got through that second inning we had the conversation around him of man what what's going on with Michaelis he didn't have his best stuff but he was able to find a way through it and I'm curious to see what he looks like down the stretch because and I said this yesterday and I stand by it he needs to be the everything changes in the offseason if he can't be viewed as the three yeah if he if he struggles in the final five starts of the year and his ERA gets bloated even more, which is 4.66 right now, it changes the whole outlook for the offseason. Because you can get like a number four starter, and you can kind of make that guy a um, bounce-back candidate if you want. Or like if you view Mats as the four, the number five could be that guy. But you don't want to do that for your three. Your three needs to be like what somewhat of a version of what Freddie Peralta is for the Brewers where, yes, he's got swing and miss, but it's pretty clear he's a solid number three pitcher for you. If you have any questions about Michaelis being that for you going into the offseason, 
the whole outlook for the offseason changes because you're signing three guys to the top three spots in your rotation and number three starters get paid pretty handsomely still on the market. Number fours, number fives, when you go out there, those guys are looking at one, two-year deals. Maybe there's an option involved and it doesn't cost you probably more than $10 million. You start creeping into that three range, you're talking about that 10 to $15 million range in potentially three years. We're going to be talking about that rotation a little bit later on with the show. He's Tanner Hendrickson. Grant Francis with us today. No BK. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, Curb said something yesterday with us on our show about guys taking the opportunity and running with it. Do they have better options this year for those players than what they did last year? We'll discuss that next coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yeah, the Blues are going into this season with the same exact question that they had last season. And, and that was even when you still had O'Reilly and you still had Barbashev and you still had Tarasenko. And that's who's going to play on the left wing in either your first or your second line consistently. And they auditioned everybody there last year, and nobody really stepped up, took it, grabbed it, and ran with it. So that's a storyline to watch. So that's one question that Curbs kind of sparked my interest yesterday on BK and Ferrario. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. The internal competition is always a a topic going into training camp at the start of the season for hockey teams, right? It's for every team. We do it at spring training, and we wonder what the internal competitions look like. And the cliche saying is going to be, well, that's going to be good for this team. And Tanner typically predicts what actually happens, and you guys laugh because I predicted Modder to be on the opening day roster. But, you know, yeah, it's it's a whole cycle. Alex also predicts things that are going to happen, like Logan Brown being a top nine player, and that doesn't work out. But what what Curb said there... I believe they're in a better position this year with those internal guys trying to take a spot better than what they were last year. Because think about those guys last season. Logan Brown was one of the internal options that was competing to take one of those spots. Jake Neighbors was one of those guys. Yeah, he's in the same position now, but you got a second year underneath him. But then go through the rest of those guys that were competing. You had Alexei Torovchenko. You had uh, Josh Levo. You had Nathan Walker, Nikita Alexandrov, Tyler Pitlick. Those were the guys competing to take over a third or a fourth line job. This season, to me, is much different. Your top six is pretty much set. You got your top nine, which you could argue put some guys there, a Brandon Saad, a Jake Neighbors, Verana, Kapanen. But look at the other guys that are competing. Sammy Blay. Could be a top nine player for this team. Probably going to be a fourth line player. Alexei Torpchenko still. Now you've got Oscar Sundquist. You brought back Mackenzie McEachern. You've got those younger players in Nikita Alexandrov and Zachary Dean. All of these guys, to me, are better options than what you had last season. I mean, guys, we were trying to convince ourselves that Nathan Walker could be an 82-game player on the fourth line. Nathan Walker might have to fight for a roster spot this season, which is better than where they were last year because you have more competent players fighting for roster positions than what you did. So I don't disagree with you on the fourth line and that I do think they are deeper and I think they've got more certainty in terms of what they are looking for in that fourth line because the biggest thing with the fourth line 
what, since the cup run maybe? There's that yeah, you just didn't know what after. you were going to get from the fourth line. Yeah. It was, okay, we're going to throw three guys out there, and then Ruby's going to call them right back to the bench, and they're going to sit there most of the yeah, game. Yeah, really, because, when Steen was gone, that's yeah, what you were doing. Because they never really trusted everybody on that line. They maybe trusted one player, like Torpchenko, I think, earned the, the trust of the coaching staff, but they never got it from all three guys on that line. And they could get to that point this year with Alexandrov, Torpchenko, uh, Blay, potentially, Sunquist, all those guys. The one spot that I think they're going to still potentially have the same kind of, if you want to call it, issue or the same question for the whole season is the top six getting solidified. And what I mean by that is I think with Thomas, Kyrou, you know those guys are going to be on that top line. I, Hayes or Shen, whoever ends up centering that second line, yeah. it, you know what you're going to get out of you're those in a guys. Good, you're in a good position for the centerman no matter what. Yeah, and you know what you're going to get out of Booch when he, if, he's he- if he can stay healthy. So, yeah. like, those four you know. It's the wing on the other side that is the question mark. Like, I'm looking at Cap Friendly right now just to see what they have as the line projections, and they've got Sod on the top line, and they've got Kapanen on the second line. And see, line. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I believe the Blues know that they're best suited to have Brandon Sod as a third-line player. I agree, but here's where... My point is on this in terms of where I think there is potential for the same issue that arise last year is, yes, I, I liked what we saw from Kapanen last year. I liked what we saw from Vrana last year when they were here. But that was just a short stint, and both those guys fell out of favor in their previous locations for different reasons. But those are the kind of players that I look at and I go, okay, Vrana, his ceiling is a legitimate top, top goal scorer mm-hmm. for the St. Louis Blues. His floor isn't like a mid-level floor for most players. It is like, hey, this guy's not going to be playing defense. He's not scoring a ton of goals, and you're trying to get – he's probably on the third line for you. I I think they could run into the same inconsistency issues they had last year in the top six at that wing spot where it is, okay, in theory, Captain is that guy, or Verona is that goal scorer that goes on that line. But because it could be too inconsistent, you start to get to that shuffle that the Blues did last year where they start throwing Levo up onto that top line to play with Ryan O'Reilly. Or where, to the point of what you said, I agree, the best thing for the Blues is Saad is on the third line on that wing. But if Vron is inconsistent or Kapanen's inconsistent and you have to start bumping him up, you start running into some of the same issues that you had last year but with don't those you feel better? guys out of position on a, on the top line. But don't you feel better about this team now not trying to force a Logan Brown into a top six role or a Levo into a top six role when you know you've got Sammy Blay that can do that, where you've seen Oscar Sundquist do that. You've got guys who have track records playing in that position rather than last year as you were just hoping that they could be something for that I, position. Do I feel better about Blay and Sonny over like Logan Brown, I mean, absolutely. Like Logan Brown was not good last no. year, but I mean, we're basically squinting and saying, okay, play really a fourth liner. Can we bump him up into the top six? Okay, yeah, Sunquist is a fourth liner. Can I squint and see him playing in the top six? I mean, sure, but that doesn't feel like a good thing. Like, if we have to say, well, you have Sammy Blay that could play in your top six, well, then I think you have some serious question marks. And that's not a shot against Sammy Blay. Like, he was great last year, but I don't know if I want him outside the on the second or first line for extended periods. Same with Oscar Sundquist. Really good player if he's healthy. I don't know if I really want him on the first or second line to try and help create offense if it's too inconsistent. And that's kind of my point is, do I think that they're going to, will they be as inconsistent and have issues where they had to put Levo on the top line with Ryan O'Reilly last year? I don't know if it's going to be that bad. But I can see where Verona doesn't end up panning out on the top line. And maybe Kapman goes through struggles on that second line or even on the first line. It's where then they start doing what I'm talking about and they have to bump Sod back up to the first line. Or to your point, have to start moving Blay up to the lineup to where, can he do it? Sure, but I don't know if I want him doing it in big spurts, if that makes sense. 
I, I feel where the Blues are right now, talking about Blay and Sunquist. Like, the Blues need to get back to having players play in the spots where they belong. For example, I've said this before. Brandon Saad should not be on your top line. He's a third-line player. We were just talking about that. The same goes for, for Blay and Sunquist. They're going to succeed in the places that are most natural for them, which I believe is the fourth line. And as you were saying, can Blay play up? Sure. But he's going to have the most success on a fourth line. And by the way, if you have Blay on your fourth line, if he's scoring at the rate that he was last year, then all of a sudden you have four deep lines that can score any time during a game. So... I think that's the biggest thing is the Blues need to get to the spot where they can have players playing in their most natural spots. And there are players like Jake Neighbors who can jump into a bigger role this season. If he can take a top six role on this team, then everything starts to fill out. It's the domino effect. So it comes down to someone needs to sort of take the keys. Like if Jake Neighbors can take that second line left wing spot, then everything sort of falls into place. But if nobody's able to really take that spot and claim it, then, yeah, there's going to be question marks all through the lineup. Absolutely. That's what goes into a rebuilding team. And that's the question that BK asked Herbs yesterday. And we don't need to play the audio, but BK said, is that the best case scenario for this Blues team is Jake Neighbors takes a top six role? And he said, absolutely. And he's right. He's spot on. If Jake Neighbors outperforms Kapanen and Saad and Verana in camp, well, now you've just created depth because if Neighbors looks like a legit top six winger who can create space and go to the front of the net, now you've got Verana and Kapanen and Sa, two of those three playing on a third line who should both be top six wingers. And now you're talking Blay on the fourth line. And this is where the depth comes into play, which is why I'm optimistic about the offense, but it doesn't matter unless you have guys that are saying, okay, and this is the difference, again, of what last year was to this year. Three guys that you projected to be in your top six, which were um, Barbashev, Tarasenko, and O'Reilly, maybe Barbashev top nine. Those three guys didn't have the motivation that Verona and Kapanen have because they didn't get contract extensions. Verona and Kapanen don't expect contract extensions. They've got to prove it. Those three guys all expected to get something. Maybe two, you could argue Tarasenko didn't. That's the difference. Those three guys didn't have that same motivation that these two players have. And that's what I find so interesting about the Blues is because their their ceiling, I don't know if it's like Stanley Cup contender type ceiling, but it's, it's not it's definitely it's de- it's definitely a playoff caliber team is their ceiling. And like there's no denying it, the Blues would love to would want to be in the playoffs this year. And in fact, we would love for them to be in the playoffs this I year. I desperately I'm, need them to be in the playoffs I miss this Blues year. playoff hockey. Yes. But I just miss so, playoffs. But what's so interesting about them is these, this question that we're raising is all it takes is that one domino to fall where things get a little bit tougher for the St. Louis Blues. Absolutely. And it's in this top six. And that's why they are going to be one of the most fascinating teams, I think, in the NHL early on because their ceiling is they could play really well. Everything comes together. And to your point, Jake Neighbors takes that and runs and becomes a top six winger, which is probably the best case for this team. And they're probably, we're talking playoffs around trade deadline time. But if one domino falls, neighbor doesn't take it, and Kapanen is too inconsistent on that second line or the first line or Verona's the same way, all of a sudden we're talking about a team that's probably looking like Sellers getting at the deadline, and that's what makes them so fascinating this year. Let me ask you guys this. Is it out of the question for this team that scored 260 goals last season? Is it out of the question for them to score 300 goals this year as a team? I don't think that's out so of the question. So you had 260 last year with that roster. Now you have... Sunquist, Blay, Verana, Kapanen for a full season. 40 more goals for those with those four players. Because if you do, then you're the exact same offense that you were the year that you made it to the second round against Colorado. Because that team scored 309 goals and was top five in the NHL in total goals scored. 
So if you think that this team can score 40 more goals than what they did last year with this roster, we're talking about the exact same so team. So let me kind of run through this just real quick. Like, we're going to do math on air, so everybody be prepared. And we know how so that goes. O'Reilly had 12 goals. Let's say Hayes scores. What Hayes do you have is going to give you 12 to 20. So I would be surprised if he didn't. So that's plus eight yeah. in that spot. Vrana, if he adds, let's say he scores, I'm going to go a little bit lenient here, not go super high. Let's say he scores 20, 25. So that's another 15. I was going to say that's 14 or 15 more than what Vladdy scored so, for the Blues. So that that ends up adding more. 23. To your, I mean, I I think they. I don't think they'll get that high in terms of what you said offensively. Like 40 goals sounds like a lot that they're adding. Um, 300 goals is so. Just to put this into perspective, last year there were two teams that scored more than 300 goals. It was Boston and Edmonton. Well, and in, in the year before that, for the Blues, when they made it to the second round against Colorado, they scored 311 that year. I just looked that 311. up. 311. So it does seem sort of steep to go the 300 route because you had players that were playing out of their minds that season for how, the Blues. How many did they give up last year? Last year, 301. They, yeah, they might do that again. How the hell did you? No, 298, sir. Are you sure? Oh, sorry. Jeez. Scott's right, well, just trying to add three goals to it. It was that, still a that is was still a minus it was 301, by the way. I'm what looking at it right now. At? Yeah, they could give up 301 again. Either way. Year. Yeah. Regardless, that's going to be the difference with this. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. One team that we get to start being optimistic about. That's right, Tanner. I'm including you in this. Is our home Tigers. M-I-Z, boys. They start tonight. What are realistic expectations? We'll get to that next on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think he's done a remarkable job with recruiting. He's done an outstanding job. He might be one of the better recruiters that Mizzou has had from a fo- from a head football coach standpoint. The problem is he hasn't done enough winning. You show improvement, not through your, your recruiting classes, although that's part of the process, but you show improvement by winning games on, on Saturday nights and the occasional Thursdays. So when it comes to, to drink, you, you gotta, I think, I think you gotta win at least eight, eight games this year. Anthony Stalter yesterday on the fast lane, and he must be in my head because that's where I stand also with Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. BK's not here, so now we can be honest about it. We can be negative. We don't have to be the optimistic, happy people. They're going to lose tonight. Oh God, if they lose tonight, oh man! This oh, you weren't thinking that Friday is going to be a rough show for our um, our Missouri me? Tigers. What I see is a gold mine of content. <laughs> That's they true. might fire the he's, coach. He's not here. Yeah, Eli might not be here. That's a gold mine of an entire show. But look, Stoltz is absolutely correct. If you're Eli Drinkwitz, you've already nailed the recruiting side of things. You're recruiting top five recruits. You're doing something that hasn't been done in a really long time with the Missouri Tigers. But you also have to back it up with winning. And the last few years, 
you know, the first year you saw the optimism, five and five, you were all in conference play, and you're thinking, okay, Drake might have something here. It's coming off of his record um, where he was Appalachian, Appalachian. I always butcher that. One of the two. Well, he came from over there, success, five and five. Appalachian, I don't know, I've heard both. Then you go to the next year where you finish six and seven, but the conference play takes a dip. You're three and three and five. And then the following year, you're the exact same team. That's where you have to improve. And the expectations for the Missouri Tigers, we've talked about this. For me and BK, it's seven or eight wins. Eight is optimistic. Seven is probably more realistic with this team. That shows improvement. But if you go six and seven again, if you go two games or worse under 500 against conference play, then I can't sit here and act like, oh, well, you're great at recruiting if you're not backing it up on the field. And that's where this season is pretty massive for drink. Maybe I believe he's more on a hot seat than somebody else. But when you're going up against this type of schedule where we've located the three or four games in conference play that are going to be uh, basically impossible for them to win. But the rest of that shows that this team can win seven or eight games, which is showing improvement for Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah, I, I think he's got to get to seven wins this year. I, I think six, his job is probably safe still. I would say it's a disappointing year. Then the seat really warms up. I think anything below 500, he probably is out the door. But I don't think they're at that level. I, I think they are going to be a 500 team. And I, I think they can win seven, maybe eight games this year. I, I think they've got a couple on their schedule like LSU, Georgia, Tennessee. Those three I think you can write off as more likely losses. Kansas State's going to be interesting. Memphis is interesting. They've got Vanderbilt. They should win that one. And then there's a couple of toss-up games. And he's going to have to show that they can win some of those, those toss-up, toss-up games. Those toss-up games are going to be the judging because ones. the toss-up games are what hurt Mizzou last year. They Like that Auburn game. They should have won that Auburn game last year um they i'm not gonna say they should have won but they were right in it with number one georgia yeah they lost by seven to florida on the road they lost at home to kentucky by four like they had a couple of toss-up games that if one or two of those go a different direction we're even putting more of the um more pressure on mizzou to take the next step forward because they could have been a seven or eight win team last year so i i think the pressure is on to get to seven wins I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. You know, Eli dropped the play calling this year. He hired an OC, yeah. so I'm fascinated to see what that looks like tonight and how that just kind of progresses as the season goes on. But it is time. Like, year four, I think every college coach should get probably a three, four-year kind of grace period because you take over year one, and he had it even tougher. Oh, yeah. Where it was take over in a pandemic year. Everything was kind of up With in the a air. rough roster on. carried over. Exactly. And that first year is typically, okay, I got to try and figure out Somehow I've got to win with a roster that I didn't build, plus I've got to sell to recruits, hey, come to Missouri. By year four, which we're in now in the Eli Drinkwitz experience, he's done a great job. I think Stoltz is right on, as and you said it too. He's done a great job in recruiting. Yeah. Now it's all about trying to turn those recruits into winning football players and winning games at the University of Missouri. Yeah, seven wins is what you're looking at. And look, I, I, tomorrow when we come on the air after what you expect to be a Mizzou win over South Dakota – You're going to sit there, and of course, the first caveat we're going to say is, look, it was against South Dakota. But if there are certain areas that you were watching for in this game tonight against South Dakota for Mizzou, mine's all about offense. BK has been preaching how this defense is going to be significantly better than what it was last year, and it was a good defense last year. Now you're getting better. That's what BK believes. That's great. If they go out there and shut down South Dakota, fine. 
what's the offense look like? Because a couple of things. One, you mentioned it, T-Bone. You dropped your offensive coordinator duties as Drinkwitz and gave it to somebody else. So now you can focus on head coaching. Somebody can focus on offense. What does that translate to the game plan? And how does your quarterback look? Because people have gone back and forth. Brady Cook, Sam Horn. What are you going to look like with this? Your your outcome this season to me, is going to rely on how this offense looks if they can take that dynamic step forward. So there are three things that I'm looking for in tonight's game. Man, we should have done a T-bone three. Oh, man, um, I got five. One was the, the is the quarterback uh, battle because you're going to see both Sam Horn and you're going to see Brady Cook tonight. They're going to split this game. My guess is you're probably going to see Brady Cook first and then Sam Horn. I mean, this is a, as you said, this is a, not not only should we be going on the air tomorrow talking about a win, it should be a blowout, and it should be basically Mizzou picked the score that they wanted it to be. This thing's anywhere close or anything within like 21 to 28 points. There probably is a little bit of concern that we'll be talking about tomorrow. But I am curious to see what both those quarterbacks look like, if one of them can kind of help already start to separate themselves going into next week's matchup against Middle Tennessee. Uh, the other thing I'm going to be looking for, because I'm not going to be looking at the offense as a whole, because I think there's a chance that, Sometimes in games like this, Kirby Moore is going to hide some of his actual, I don't want to say his actual plays, but some of his best stuff yeah, you're not gonna, for when they get yeah. to like a Memphis game or when they start getting into conference play because you don't want to put everything out here on the table to beat an FCS program in South Dakota. So I'm not looking at the offense as a whole that way. I am fascinated to see what Luther Burden looks like tonight, see if he's gotten better. I mean, BK's right on when he said this. Though his season was a tough season last year, it wasn't all on drink. Some of that was on Luther Burden. And he was learning to play at the SEC. So I'm fascinated to see what he looks like, and I'm fascinated to see what the defense looks like tonight. Because if it's as good as advertised, and BK has been telling me that it could be like what Illinois' defense was last year, they're going to be flying around tonight, and you're going to get a good sense of what they could potentially be. So I'm fascinated to see those three things going into tonight's game against South I think Dakota. I really am fascinated, though, of what the offense looks like with an offensive coordinator. Because, I mean, we haven't seen that for a Mizzou team in, what, since Barry Odom? Since I mean, Drink took over. It's all been his offense. Now you're putting somebody yeah, in charge just, of that. I just don't know what all we're going to see. Maybe I'll come on the air tomorrow and say, wow, Curry, the game that Curry Moore called was it was great, but it's just tough for me to anticipate that's not going right. up against FCS school. Right. This could just be a, a ground and pound type of game for this Mizzou team. Sorry, South Dakota. <laughs> great state. I've been there once. Never been This there. is like a preseason. Mount Rushmore's game. there, right? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. See, I know my geography. I took geography but in th- high school. Let's just, this is like a preseason game. You never see NFL teams yeah. go, all right, we're going to run our best trick play here. What are you talking about, Imagine though? the Eagles running the Philly special in week one of the preseason. Every preseason game we ever see, whether it's Cardinals in spring training, Blues in action, we say, oh, my God, this team's going to win it all. Yeah. Well, I'd, not necessarily. Yeah. By yeah. the way, ESPN Analytics has this, like, 96% that Mizzou wins. Frankly, I'm surprised it's not 99%. But yeah. they know Mizzou's in action, so you always have to anticipate uh, the worst in this. One more piece I wanted to ask, and, and you showed this to us yesterday, T-Bone, because Utah, that's the big game tonight. They're taking on Florida. Utah, of course, is ranked, what are they, 14th going into the season. But they don't have their quarterback, and they don't have potentially their tight end in this game. Are we going to see Are we going to see an upset in week one or week zero? I still think Utah is going to win this game. The DraftKings app has them as a minus five favorite. And T-Bone, yeah. you asked the question, what was that yesterday? Because I get that had to have been like a minus nine and a half yesterday. Yeah, I bet they were heavily favored going into yesterday or before the news was announced that he's going to be missing this game. But I still believe that Utah is going to win this game. But I do think it's going to be a lot closer than I originally thought. Now that they are missing their QB, um, I, I without rising, it just becomes much tougher task for Utah 
but I'm it's more so not not so much I'm high on Utah and their backup quarterback as I am low on Florida. So I think this will be interesting. I think it's got the potential for an upset, but I would still say take the Utes to win this one tonight. I'm just happy college football is back. Uh, no kidding. I had to watch Notre Dame last Saturday, and again, it was against hey, Navy, but you know, it was still exciting. Navy completes that one pass they attempted. They're in that football game. It's a different story. <laughs> Didn't they get, like, smashed by, like, 40-something points? Yeah, but, like, they lost all the momentum when two guys <laughs> ran into each other, and they were wide open. <laughs> That's college football season for you. Tanner Hendricks and Grant Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. Our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. Also, our YouTube channel, at 101 ESPN STL. Our questions and answers segment is next, so send your questions our way. We'll answer them on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646. That is our Air Comfort Service text line along, alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grand Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. As you send your questions over to us, you can also send them on YouTube, our YouTube channel, at 101 ESPN STL. Let's start off with this one. Fellas, City, another victory last night. What's the excitement level at for all of you? I mean, pretty high because... Has it even changed? Like, I just feel like the excitement level's always there. Even when they lose, people are still like, oh, the city's, the city teams. Like, it always I, seems to be at its highest. I, I think one thing that was great about last night's win for them, <laughs> that was a weird game. The fact that the goalie for FC Dallas got sent off on a red card. I was say, you got a red in. card, like, right away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen that happen, but, man, it is so rare that that those, occurs. Those refs came off in a sour mood, I guess. Um, But I... uh. I, the thing that was encouraging about the win last night was, it, it like I never was doubting like Lutz and Carnell and the work that they've done because the fact that they've built this incredible machine that is an expansion team in the first year and is atop of the Western Conference. But both these guys that scored last night were acquired in season for City. <laughs> uh, Mar- Markinovich, I think I said that right. I can't remember. Probably but not, but he, good uh, try. They acquired him from Colorado earlier this season in a trade. Uh, Thorson, who they got on the four. Thor they got on the uh, on the transfer market earlier this year. Like he brought both those pieces in, and then they scored yesterday. And they didn't even play uh, Giacchini last night because they're kind of resting some guys since they were playing from Saturday to third or to what was yesterday Wednesday <laughs> to, and they got to play this weekend too. So it made sense that some of those guys were out. But man, I mean, if, he brought in more depth pieces that were contributing last night. And they're going to need that depth to come through if they're going to end up going on that run if they want to win the cup or win the MLS championship this year. And last night just continued to add my faith in that. I, I still think the back line is a little bit thin, but I, I think they're going to get better the more comfortable they get. And Nielsen's will be back in the lineup again probably this weekend. They, I, I tell you what, man, like after last night's game, I, I felt good about their chances. I felt even better after last night's win. Yeah, for me, it's just it doesn't change. Like I, I think the elements that you know about this team are there, and even if they lose, you know that Roman Berkey is one of the best, if not the best, goalie in MLS. Goalkeeper. Sorry if I mispronounced that, Grant. I know you hold me accountable there. Arcanic. I knew I was wrong. <laughs> and in the offense, your offense is the best in MLS. And those are the two elements I know about this team. So when their offense goes silent one game, and it's a close one because you've got Berkey playing out of his mind. That's their path to success. So 
I love the excitement around it, but to me, it's it's just always at like a nine or a ten in terms of expectations because that's what City has done this season. Is it championship or bust for them this year? I, I believe so, which seems weird to say for an expansion team, but you've got the best goalkeeper and your offense is the best. I don't know how it shouldn't be. I I think I kind of agree, and it does feel a little bit too harsh to be putting no, it I'm on not an expansion team. Pepper this team if they don't win it. No, but I think it would be fair like if they got bounced in the first round, for example, yeah. which hopefully doesn't happen. So but to be say like, that's a disappointing yeah. year. I'm going to be like, but what went wrong and how do we reset? It feels so weird to be putting those expectations on an expansion team, but again, they continue to just dominate the Western that's, Conference. That's what we did with Vegas, their first year in the NHL. Like, they came out as a dominant team, and you said, well, they're going to win the Cup this year, and look how far they went. Nobody butchered them because they didn't win it, but the fact that you got there, that reminds me a lot of this city team. I will say, like, I'm very excited about the team, but the one concern I do have is when they go up against quality opponents, they they do tend to struggle. Like Orlando was a good opponent. They lost 2-1. Uh, Club America, obviously, but Columbus was able to beat them. They lost to Columbus 2-1. Uh, they beat Inter-Miami. They're bad. They're, well, they were before Messi. Uh, lost to LAFC. They beat Toronto, who's one of the worst teams. Colorado's bad. They beat them. But like then when they go up against teams like Orlando, they tend to struggle, and you know their next two matches: Sporting KC, LA Galaxy, two bad clubs. But then you got Houston and LAFC in mid-September. That's where I'm really going to be paying attention because those are two tough teams. And if St. Louis can walk out of those games, those matches, sorry, unbelievable. With a couple wins, call yourself a soccer guy. That's when my excitement will really ramp up. Uh, from the six three six Air Comfort Service text line three one four three nine 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 six four six. Guys, who is your sleeper pick? for NFL MVP this season. I I don't know if it's a sleeper pick, but I would say Lamar Jackson. And I mean, if you look at the odds, it's considered an underdog because he's not a favorite, but I just, I don't really know if there's a sleeper pick that's going to be able to pull out with the MVP this season. So Lamar Jackson would probably be my answer. Yeah, Lamar's a good one. And I I think he would be considered a sleeper, even though he's considered one of the top quarterbacks. Just because you're going up against Allen and Mahomes and Burrow. Yeah. uh, And Hurts. One for me, and it's in the NFC, is Dak. That offense should be great for Dallas. They added Brandon Cooks. You've already got C.D. Lamb. Um, you got Tony Pollard that's going to be taking the bulk of the carries now in the backfield, like, and he can catch the ball too. And your offensive line, if it stays healthy, and, and is your one offensive of the best. line is one of the best. If it stays healthy, like, I could see where Dak puts up incredible numbers this year. To yep. where, like, what was it last year? Like through Week Eight, we were kind of talking about like, well, if you squint, Kirk Cousins is kind of in this conversation. Oh, yeah. I could see where he kind of does that. I'm not saying I would put my money on that, but if you want a sleeper, I think yeah. Dak's an interesting case. And I guarantee his odds are incredible, too. Grant? I think Aaron Rodgers is interesting. If the Jets have the season that a lot of people he's are hyping up for. He's absolutely a sleeper, too, though, because mm-hmm. of how last year went. Yeah, I mean, right now I'm looking at he's a plus 1,600 to win the MVP and Trevor Lawrence's as well. So is Lamar Jackson, actually. So all those three plus 1,600, but I do like Aaron Rodgers for that. I'm so pissed off I didn't get it. Lamar Jackson in our hey, fantasy football draft. Sam Darnold plus 10,000. Get that. <laughs> somebody what puts if their, Brock Purdy doesn't work out? Somebody puts money on Sam Darnold, just send me the money. I'll give you my Venmo. It'll be easier. Uh, final one from the 314. Guys, I'm not sure if you saw this, but Phil Kessel wants to play hockey this season and said he's willing to not keep his Ironman streak going. Would you take a flyer on him? Absolutely not. Uh, Phil Kessel has won championships. Phil Kessel is a goal scorer. Phil Kessel is a a fringe player now 
He's goal scoring or bust. And frankly, Phil Kessel comes here and he's on a fourth line. And does Phil Kessel match the identity of a fourth line for any of you guys? Uh, Not so much me. So, no, I would not take a flyer on him. No chance. I would not either. I just, one, you don't need him. And that's like my only reason for it. Like, you just don't need a Phil Kessel right now. I would much rather see Nikita Alexandrov get an opportunity on a fourth line than throw Phil Kessel out Yeah, I was just about to say, if you bring in Phil Kessel, you're just costing opportunities from every other player that's trying to break through on this team. Right. I don't think there's anybody, because I know this is the PTO conversation. Everyone's like, oh, is there anybody to get a PTO? I don't think there's anybody out there worth a PTO for this Blues team right now. I think your roster is in place, and you just go into training camp and you see what happens. Now, if injuries take place or if guys don't look well and there's still somebody sitting out there, sure, go ahead. But for right now, what you see right now on the Blues website of their roster is the roster that should be going into training camp, and I don't expect any other changes. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, Stoltz said something yesterday very interesting in comparing the Cardinals and the Braves. And surprisingly, both T-Bone and I disagree. We'll discuss that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You look at the Braves lineup, they're loaded. They can beat you in in a multitude of ways, like this one exec was talking about. They also have guys that go to the post every single day. They know what their lineup is. They have stayed relatively healthy. They've they've had a bunch of guys on on the IL throughout the course of the year, but it's been more pitchers than, than hitters. What they built is incredibly impressive. And if we localize and say, how did the Cardinals create a roster like the Braves? You're no you're nowhere close. You're not you're not in the same hemisphere. As what the Braves are. And you have to stop mixing and matching like the Rays and Giants do. The Braves don't mix and match anything. They got the same same nine guys, yeah, but they- <laughs> relatively speaking. That's Anthony Stoltz from the Fast Lane yesterday. If you missed any of that or anything on our podcast page, you can go check it out, 101ESPN.com, which is presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Stoltz is probably like a lot of Cardinals fans right now that say the Cardinals are night and day far away, not even in the same hemisphere as the Atlanta Braves because of the platoon guys, because of having guys that don't really have positions and T-Bone and I both look at that a little differently, and we might be in the minority in this. And frankly, I believe we are in the minority in this, T-Bone, because I still believe the Braves are significantly better than the Cardinals, and they've got some work to do if you want to catch them. But I don't think it's that far of a difference in terms of having everyday players. And a lot of that has changed now because of Mason Wynn. A lot of that doesn't look that way right now. Also because of the injuries that are taking place of certain guys that are in and out of the lineup because of nagging back problems, ankle problems, whatever that might be. Knees. Knees, turf, who knows? That's the situation you're in of a bad team that's not making the playoffs. You have to be cautious with these guys. But if you look at the beginning of next season, Again, the skill set from these players aren't right there with the Braves. But everyday positions seem to be locked down. Whether it's Contreras or Kisner, you've got your everyday catcher. Third base, shortstop, second base, and first base 
seem to have those positions locked in. Now, I can hear the argument of, is Nolan Gorman a second baseman? Are you going to platoon him against lefties? I think the injuries are taking place with Gorman right now to the point that they're being cautious rather than, oh, we just can't hit lefties. Your outfield is the biggest question mark, but you know Jordan Walker is going to be there. Lars Nupar is going to be there. And it sure seems, we'll talk about this a little bit later, Tommy Edmond is there. So you've got your everyday players. It doesn't really seem like you have the platoon options anymore that people are talking about. That was the beginning of the season. Now it's solidified itself much more. Yeah, I think the Cardinals have a everyday starting nine. Where they hit in the order can change and fluctuate based on matchups, but I, I don't think that should be like a major thing that we freak out about. That's what smart teams do. They they put their better hitters closer to the top of the order, and it's okay if that means Newt Bar goes from hitting leadoff to hitting ninth against a lefty. That's just good baseball sense. Um, but I do think they have most of the starting nine figured out. The DH spot is always going to be one that kind of fluctuates, rotates around, getting guys off their feet. But that's going to be one of these guys that are starting for you because the exactly. one guy I did mention is Brendan Donovan. Exactly. And I think, and this is where I was going to go to, is I think when you're talking about this Cardinals outfield, I I think when you look at it, there are center field is probably the one spot that's going to be quote-unquote platooned. And that is, I think, against lefties next year, Edmonds the guy that starts in center field, and you have Newpar and left. I think against, and Donovan would be the DH in that scenario. I think against righties, there's a chance you see Newbar in center field and Donovan's in left and Burleson's at DH. Yeah, so that's one and that's spot. not really a platoon. That's one spot. And again, that DH spot is always going to rotate. Like every team would prefer to do that rather than what like San Diego has where they've got Matt Carpenter, who's their DH, and he can't play really anywhere in the field. So the DH spot's always going to rotate. I, I think when you look at this team, I think the most of those positions are set. Like I, I think that is... I think it's misconstrued that the Cardinals are ro- that oh they're platooning everything because they're rotating guys from positions around just to get guys off their, off of their feet, and I think that the Cardinals, Stoltz said it in that in that cut that we returned with said they're not even in the same stratosphere as the Atlanta Braves. They're not right now, but I don't think it's as far apart as some people believe because the offense, though it's not as good as Atlanta's, nobody's is as good as Atlanta's. Cardinals have a top 10 offense right now in Major League Baseball. They are ninth in OPS in Major League Baseball. So they have a top 10 offense. Now, they need to address the pitching, and I, but I think if they do that, they go out and they do the moves that we're talking about where they go out and sign a Aaron Nola, they add a whoever you want to be that number two, whether it be trade or free agency. They add a number four via trade or free agency. They find a way to upgrade the bullpen somehow, some way. You're talking about a team that probably isn't going to be viewed as World Series contender right there with the Atlanta Braves, but they are certainly going to be viewed in that second tier in the National League. And that's why I think as much as right now, and it is tough to look at look at the Cardinals right now and say, wow, they are close to the Atlanta Braves. I think it is a lot closer than people seem to believe because everybody's just at the point now where it's like, oh, well, we're terrible because they're, there's there's no chance they can get to the Atlanta Braves next year. I think they can get pretty close to what the Atlanta Braves are next year. If you look at the lineup, and I'm just going off of the last four, five games for the Atlanta Braves, I'll have to pull up what it was all season long. But here are the guys that are in the lineup every single day. Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley, Matt Olson. Uh, Sean Murphy, Orlando Arcia. Those are the guys that 99% of the season, you know they're going to be in that lineup. 
You've got Marcelo Zuna, who is a DH a majority of the time. You've got Kevin Pillar, Michael Harris, and you've got um, Eddie Rosario. Those four guys with Marcelo Zuna, they rotate in and out. They've got Vaughn Grissom as well, who goes in and out with that one. That's really where the Cardinals are at. I mean, you know that Arenado's going to be there. Goldschmidt's going to be there. Walker's going to be there. Wynn's going to be there. Contreras is going to be there. You know that those six guys... Gorman's going to be there. Gorman's going to be there. Newt going to be there. That's eight guys that I just mentioned. And then for that one other spot, much like the Atlanta Braves do, whether it's Rosario or Harris or Ozuna or um, uh, uh, Kevin Pillar... They've got a lot of guys for two positions. The Cardinals have two guys that are going to be one position. Unless they go out and sign or trade for somebody, then that spot's solidified. Again, the the, the part that I would say, yeah, they're not where the Atlanta Braves are, is the clutch factor. We talked about that in the open of where you're starting to feel a little bit better about guys like Walker and Wynn. But every time one of the nine players steps to the plate for the Atlanta Braves, if it's a runners in scoring position, I know they're going to come through. And I can't say that same thing about this Cardinals team. But that, I have to wait until next season to find out. This year did not go their direction. But with Walker, with Wynn, with Gorman on a regular basis, with Newtbar, with Donovan, with Goldie and Arenado and Contreras, with what we've seen this season, I, I can't. I can't deny that they can do it. It's just a matter of can you do it on a consistent basis like the Braves. Yeah, and I you said this earlier too. I, I do think that they did have an issue with kind of rotating players in and out early on in the year. But I think it was the same kind of conversation that we just had in, at eleven fifteen about the Blues where it was they were rotating guys in and out a lot. Why? Because nobody took the job and ran with it. The Cardinals would have loved for Dylan Carlson to get hot and say, okay, you're the everyday center fielder. He didn't hit. He still hasn't hit. He hasn't hit right-handed pitching, and this was before he hurt the ankle. So that was their biggest issue early on. I think the runners in scoring position thing, I, if it happens again next year, then I'm totally on board with what you just said where, okay, there's something that's wrong here. For whatever reason this year, it just feels more of a kind of one-off. And you look at the you look at the lineup that, that we just read off for the Cardinals, and again, I'm not going to – read it in a batting order, but just listen to the names. Contreras, guy that has, can be a third impact bat, as we've seen recently. Paul Goldschmidt, still a really good player. Arnott, a really good player. Gorman's going to strike out, so I can understand where he would struggle, but he can hit for some serious power. Jordan Walker, as we've seen recently, he can be a guy that could do some some damage. Newbar, same way. Like Their struggles with runners in scoring position this year, with the bases loaded this year, feel more like a one-off, because if I'm going to look at that lineup and go, wow, that's a deep lineup, that means they're probably going to hit with runners in scoring position, but for whatever reason, they are just running into whether you want to call it bad luck or just something's been off this year. Maybe it was they started depressed when the season really got away from them early on, and that's what snowballed into them struggling with runners in scoring position. I think they are closer to the Atlanta Braves. I don't think they're going to be the Atlanta Braves. I don't think they're going to be better than the Atlanta no. Braves, but I don't think it's a massive gap. It's not like we're talking about the Braves compared to the Rockies next year. No, I think the Cardinals can be one of those teams that can, and again, it requires an aggressive offseason. And again, if they don't have an aggressive offseason, we're going to crush them on air once we get to spring training next year. Well, But if they are aggressive, I think they've really closed the gap because if they really improve this pitching staff, you've got the lineup that we just talked about. I think it's going to be mostly everyday players, and you get a rotation that's more modernized, and hopefully you add to the bullpen to help with that too. I think you're a team that is in that second tier of the most most of the contenders in the National League. Yeah, and it's not a matter of being them. It's building like them. And that's going to be the hard part for this Cardinals team is finding ways to 
to to build their roster like the Atlanta Braves. And, and I think you're focusing more because we, we just talked about like your position players are pretty much set next season. It's building on the pitching side of things and it's finding ways to get the right types of players on the pitching side, whether that's via free agency or via trade. It's really winning the trades if you're going to compare yourself to the Atlanta Braves, because every time the Atlanta Braves seem to make a trade, whether it's bringing in Charlie Morton or finding that guy that nobody expected. Sure, they drafted and developed a lot of their guys, but it's winning those trades if you make a trade of bringing in the right free agent. That's how you're going to at least start to build a roster like an Atlanta Braves team. Yeah, look, just trying to fix the roster in free agency is a terrifying thought because if it go if if they spend big, so they could spend big on Nola. I think we all agree, right? Nola's the Nola's, unquote, safest yeah. bet in Nola's, free agency. If you Nola's call him the, that. The, the prized possession right yeah. now, I would say. And he's the quote-unquote safest bet because he's been consistent in terms of going out there and he gives you six innings every time and he starts like 30 games every year. Well, there's a chance you sign him to a five, six-year deal, and he breaks in year one. And maybe the other starter you signed, let's just use uh, Sonny Gray as a placeholder here, who's been another guy that's been fairly consistent and has made, I think, 29 starts in the last four years. There's a chance you sign him to a four- or five-year deal, and he breaks. And all of a sudden, you go from, oh, I think we fixed this rotation to, holy bleep, we've got old, we've got broken pitchers, and we look more like how the Nationals quickly fell apart with Strasburg and Patrick Corbin. Like, that's a chance that that happens. That's why That's why. Signing pitchers in free agency or signing anybody in free agency is terrifying, but you got to do it. You, you've got to do it. You've also got to be willing to, as you said, go make some trades, be willing to part with some serious talented pieces on your roster and try and win those deals. Or maybe not even just win the deal, but make it a, can you make it a win-win? Can you make it to where if you did make a trade with the Seattle Mariners, you don't look back on it and go, ah, oh, crap, we gave up a MVP caliber player and we got a broken pitcher in return. Yeah. Can you make it at least a win-win? And and then also to the point of how the Braves have built their roster, you can't do this in an offseason because this isn't just something that will help you get to this point next year. It's more about having more sustained success over a longer period of time, and it's why the Braves have been successful, and it's also why you fell into this problem that you're in now. you got to be better at the waiver wire, not just now where multiple guys are on there, but like claiming guys that get DFA'd off 40-man rosters in season. you got to be good at that. You've got to do a really good job at drafting and developing. That's what the Atlanta Braves have been great at. And you also got to do a really good job at the international free, agent spot, uh, free agency. That's where the Atlanta Braves have been great at. You have to be good at multiple facets, not just what it takes to improve the team for this coming season, which is free agency and trade, but if you're going to have sustained success over the next five years, it's not just going to be in those two spots. It's going to be via the draft. It's going to be via claiming guys that are DFA'd, finding those uh, hidden gems out there on the free agent market or hidden gems off of other teams' rosters that you can get. And it's also going to be international free agency where the Cardinals have been a little bit lackluster recently in recent years. So it's going to take all of that to have sustained success. But can, I, I think you can do that if you're the Cardinals, and that's where they got to really improve this offseason. That's where the look internally is going to come. And that's where you that's the position you put yourself in. Spencer Strider, of course, the ace for that team, drafted in the fourth round. You developed him. Max Freed, you acquired him when he was a young player uh, from the Padres. Uh, and then Charlie Morton, you signed as a free agent. That's the top three for that Atlanta Braves team right now. Draft and develop, trade for a young player for that upside, and sign via free agency. And welcome to the task that the Cardinals have in front of them, but you're taking a risk. But once again, you put yourself in that position. He's Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll get back to the Cardinals in about 15 minutes to talk about Tommy Edmond and what that role truly is for him. But boy, my day was made when JR dropped a piece on Colton Pareko. 
and dropped a piece on Colton Pareko that I think creates a question for Blues fans that I'm not sure they have an answer for. We'll find out if they do coming up next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So any day that I see an article about Colton Pareko, it's like Christmas for me. You know, I just get excited. And if you haven't checked out JR's piece on The Athletic about Colton Pareko, do yourself a favor and go check it out. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Basically, the article is Pareko, Leo DiCaprio, and Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. And that's good to hear because the the, the Blues need a number one defenseman, Tanner. And they Colton do need Pareko, one, yeah. No, Pareko is that oh. guy. No, the the bigger part about this piece on Colton Pareko is talking about the the pressure put on him and how he handles it, how he defines a number one defenseman. It's a really good piece worth your time. But after reading it, I looked over to Tanner and Grant and I said, is there anything that Pareko can do this season to put himself back in good graces with Blues fans? Because as bad as it has been for Colton Pareko, one, he has been injured. The other part of it is he was placed, he was placed a label on him that I, if you could go back in time, he would probably say, don't say it. And that was the, well, he's our alpha dog now. Because Colton Pareko, although he is the, the guy that is viewed as the number one defenseman, he's used in a different way than most alpha dogs are. Because when you think of number one defenseman, you think of, Norris Trophy candidates. And let's be realistic here. Norris Trophy candidates are putting up 90 to 100 points right now. And that's not Colton Pareko. But in JR's piece, he points out that Pareko has played one of the one of the most minutes among defensemen in the National Hockey League this season. And although his five-on-five numbers with goals against are bad, like of the 27 defensemen, he's at the bottom. JR also points out that he plays the most of any defenseman in the NHL that starts in the defensive zone. And that's a tough task for a Colton Pareko to be the number one defenseman, but you're not getting offensive time. That's Krug and Falk. You are going to be the number one shutdown defenseman. And frankly, if you go back to 2019, that was not Colton Pareko. Pareko and Bomeister, they were used in the defensive zone, but they were two-way guys. So I'm not sure Colton Pareko can do anything to get back into people's good graces this season. But reading that article tells me that Colton Pareko is in a position that I think is not so much on him to perform. It's on the group of top four defensemen to perform. And if they don't, I think it it looks porous on Pareko, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't know what he can do to get himself into good graces. Because I think, as we've seen, it without winning a Stanley Cup, it's kind of tough to get to that point. Like, Jay Bowmeister is the guy I kind of think of. Remember, Bowmeister was kind of the guy that was always... Oh, people of, hated Jay. People Bowmeister. didn't like Bowmeister, yeah. and now that he's gone, I really miss Jay Bowmeister. Everybody <laughs> does, and, and I don't think that that really changed around him until he got the Stanley Cup, too. By the way, I, I don't think that the kind of view around him was changed until that cup was brought home in 2019. So I'm not sure what he can do. I do think though, like if he can just cut down on some of those long spurts of inconsistency when he is healthy. I think that will help in terms of the fan base and how they view him. But outside of that, I, I just I'm not sure because I, I don't know exactly what kind of brand of hockey people want him to play. I think they want him to play a physical style they of want hockey. Him to be Chris and, and that's just not gonna happen. That's not right. his game. But can he become that defenseman that when he is on the ice, I do say, you know what? He is the shutdown guy for the St. Louis Blues. And I don't think he's been able to do that since 
since what, the 19 cup run? Ever since Bo Meester right. had to retire, he just hasn't been that guy that I look at and go, okay, he's going to really shut things down for the Blues. I think the issue for him, too, is, and I know people don't like this answer, and Tanner, you, I mean, it's a fair pushback with it, but it's it's not just Pareko. It's also the guy that he's playing with on the ice. And if you're starting the most time of any defenseman in the NHL, like it is Pareko and Vladimir Gav- Gavrikov uh, who starts the most in the defensive zone. You're also, that means you're starting your partner in the defensive zone. And think of who his partners have been. Marco Scandella, Jake Wallman, um, it was Nico Mikola, and now it's been Nick Letty. And Tori Krug was there as well. Like, those are the guys that are also starting in the defensive zone. And the difference between what he used to have with Jay Bomeister and now, Jay Bomeister was that guy that you want starting in the defensive zone, and now it's Pareko and whoever can work with him. That's why I think this offseason the Blues pursued heavily Travis Sanheim because that is a guy that we can use with Pareko in the defensive zone. Yeah, and I'm with you too because I think there's one of two things that need to happen for Pareko to fall back into good graces with the fans. Either one, the team needs to get back to the winning ways, which I don't see happening this season. It's going to be a little bit longer than that. Or two, he has to become that physical presence that everybody wants him to. And that's not Colton Pareko. That's just not what you're getting. So can he get up to a number one defenseman level? Yeah, I think so. Even if he does, I don't think he's going to necessarily fall into good graces with the fans if the team isn't winning like they were or he's not being the physical presence that the fans would like to see him be. Yeah, and we got a lot of texts on our Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646 saying it's not about him being physical or being Chris Pronger. It's we need him to be a presence in front of the net. That I agree with. That is criticism. That is fair. But that's also why I think they got rid of Mike Van Ryan and brought in a different presence. And from what I uh, forget, it was Jeremy Rutherford that talked with us a couple of days ago of the mindset of Mike Weber. It seems like they're bringing somebody in who can get that message through to Pareko that might not have been able to. You don't need him to be feisty. You don't need him to be Chris Pronger. But you need him to be tough to play against in front of his own net. And, and what you said, Grant, Jay Bowmeister was never viewed as a physical presence. And Jay Bowmeister, as we touched on, was always viewed as a guy that got the bulk of criticism. But as soon as people started to see how tough it was for others to play against him because of his stick length and speed, people started understanding what Jay Bowmeister's asset were. Now, that was also covered by having a number one defenseman in Alex Petrangelo. That's the difference that I think do people, to get him back in good graces for everybody, have to understand with this season. It's not what it used to be was you had Alex Petrangelo, which was one of the best. And then the other guys were really good secondary pieces. Now you run your defense with not one clear cut best guy. You run your defense with your top four needing to be dominant. I mean, if you look at some of the successful teams, this is how they go about it. That's why Colorado went out there and got Devon Taves because they had Kale McCarr, but they needed somebody who worked well with him. Kale McCarr is a good defenseman, but he's not great in his own zone. He's good at offensively. You work as a four-man unit now, as a top-four defense. If you're starting guys like Falk and Krug in the offensive zone, that means somebody's got to work in the defensive zone. So this is why, as much as this is on Pareko having success this season to change people's minds, that also falls on whoever his pairing mate is going to be, which seems like it's going to be Nick Letty for the upcoming season. I'm glad you brought that up because I said this in the office. I, I, I think that... For the Blues to exit this retool, and I don't know how long, that could be this year, that could be two years from now. 
I don't think they can get to that point till they find the partner for Colton Pareko. And I don't think Luddy's that guy. I know he's under contract for three more years, but I don't think Luddy's that guy. I don't think he's on the roster. And I think the Blues made that apparent by being connected to Travis Sanheim this offseason. As much as that was, oh, they were trying maybe they were trying to move on from one of their defensive contracts to try and reset the defense. I think it was more so about that that was a part of it, don't get me wrong. But they were more trying to find the guy that's going to partner with Colton Pareko, and that's the biggest thing for them. I, I think you're spot on. I do think he Pareko does need to play better individually yeah. because there are times that last year where it was like, man, it's just it's not that's not the Pareko that I, I was expecting or the Blues should be expecting. But finding his partner and creating that number one shutdown pairing, they can't exit this retool until they find that guy, whoever that is and wherever he is, to pair with Colton Pareko. Well, and I think the other thing, too, that people get bent out of shape about with Pareko is the contract, making 6.5 a year. But that's not number one defenseman level uh, AAV right there. Like, you know, Essa Lindell, I think, is a good comp for Colton Pareko over in Dallas. He makes 5.8 a year, so not much different than what Colton Pareko makes. But the difference for Essa Lindell and why he's having success, he's got Miro Haskinen who's making 8.5 a year. Like, that's a number one defenseman and, and what a number one defenseman makes. Colton Perico's not making that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, while he did get the term, he's not making that level of that's money. That's why you signed him to $6.5 million. Yeah. Yeah, and you're getting paid that way with that. So, Grant Francis, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, we've got some breaking news with the waiver, wire, waiver wires around Major League Baseball. Easier for me to say than discuss. We'll do that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So we're having an internal debate with Trent, with uh, Grant Francis and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario, is what type of breaking news this is. Is it the breaking news sounder, or is it the T-bone breaking news sounder? I lean more towards the T-bone breaking news sounder. This is bigger than that. I don't know, though. It's be, not big enough. If for the, the Cardinals would have actually done something, it would have been bigger. So I'm going to make the, um, the, the decision as the leader of this show, when BK's here, when BK's not here, it's a Tanner's breaking news. So Tanner, give it to us all. <clears throat> breaking news. Jeez, that's terrible. It doesn't deserve mine. Cardinals did nothing on the waiver wire. What? Cardinals did nothing on the waiver wire. It is infuriating. So, Are you uh, really surprised, though? No, I'm not, but it's very infuriating. And it, it was infuriating when you said it yesterday because I knew you were right. But it's even more when I see the teams that claimed them. So... Lucas Giolito, along with Ronaldo Lopez, along with Matt Moore, two bullpen arms and a starting pitcher that you desperately need, uh, they got claimed by the Cleveland Guardians. And if you're curious, Alex, where did the Cleveland Guardians fall in the waiver wire? Maybe they were before the Cardinals. No, they were 12th, and the Cardinals were 5th. And we all talked about it yesterday. Essentially, the Cardinals would be the number one pick because nobody else is claiming these guys. So they got past the Cardinals, and the Cleveland Guardians said, yeah, we'll take not one, not two, but three. And then, which I really didn't think it was going to happen, but they still got through you, uh, Harrison Bader and Hunter Renfro got claimed by the Cincinnati Reds. But let's focus on the pitchers. It doesn't make sense. And I know that it was going to happen. I know that the, if the Cardinals were put on truth serum, they say, well, we need to find out what we what our guys are. We don't need to worry about what Lucas Giolito or Matt Moore or Ronaldo Lopez are. Why? 
I think you know what Dakota Hudson is. I think you know what Zach Thompson is. And guess what? Those guys are going to be on your roster next year, and they're going to compete for a number five spot. I think you know what Matthew Libertor is. Right now, you know he's hurt. And when he comes back, maybe he competes. Maybe he's a bullpen arm. You've got Mats. You've got Michaelis. You're good. You don't know what Lucas Giolito is, who could be somebody that you pursue. Let's say Lucas Giolito goes to the Guardians the rest of the season and looks like a legit number two starter because he's been in a really bad situation. Now, you don't have any information on him. And that is a miss. And then you got the two bullpen arms, which, look, I get it. You got a lot of bullpen arms in there. But if Matt Moore or Ronaldo Lopez has success here, you're talking about trying to bring them back for a team that desperately needs bullpen help. So the more I thought about it yesterday, and look, I, I think it probably would have been, I probably would have claimed Giolito if I were sitting in the Cardinals front office. But he's probably really the only one I would have put a claim in on. I, Matt Moore, Ronaldo Lopez, all these guys, just so we all are clear, are pending UFAs. So it's not like you get a year of control with these guys. The thing that, I can understand where the Cardinals came from because you said um, you don't know what Lucas Giolito is. That's why you wouldn't claim him. You've got a pretty dang good idea what Giolito is. So I I can understand the Cardinals saying, you know what, we we still believe there's something with Matthew Libertor. We think Drew Rahm, what we saw in his last outing, we think that is more of what Drew Rahm is. But instead of claiming a starting pitcher that we could still pursue in free agency – and bring him in for five starts and then just block a young starter from getting those opportunities, they decide to just let him pass through and go to Cleveland, which happened here, and just say, you know what, let's continue to start Drew Rahm. Let's continue to start Matthew Libertor. We still don't believe we have a good sense of what those guys are, and I think that's fair for Drew Rahm. You don't know what you really have in Drew Rahm yet. He's only gotten two starts. One was terrible. One was pretty good. Matthew Libertor, there's more question about that, but I can see why they decided, you know what, let's pass on these. Let's just keep what we have internally here, and let's see if we can figure out more of what we have. And also, this allows Dusty Blake at the Major League level to work with all those guys. It allows him to work with a Drew Rahm. It allows him to work with a uh, Matthew Libertor when he comes back from his injury. So I I get it. Giolito would have made sense to claim, but I can understand where they're coming from and saying, you know what, it's not a guarantee that we get to keep them why burn those five starts on him and pay him that money when we got these guys here? But my pushback is you know what those guys are. You might not know what they are, but those names that you mentioned, you know they're not going to be one, twos, or threes. You yeah, know but what? I don't Best think you know, that, you don't know that about Giolito either. I, I think like, you've seen two potential in him. I mean, the way he pitched in L.A., he was a, a minor leaguer. But that's what I'd like to find out. It's not so much is he going to be this guy for me. It's more so can I just cross this guy off my list in free agency? Because I don't want to have this. Well, I think this could tell you, too, by the way, now that you mentioned that. This could tell you they don't have interest in Giolito. Maybe. This could tell you that they view Giolito as someone they're not going to pursue in free agency. But what happens if you miss out on Nola, Snell, Urias, and Yamamoto? Well, that's the thing is you can't miss out on them. If you're going to cross Giolito's name off the list, and again, I'm just kind of speculating. It could be one of those where it was more just let's get the young guys opportunities and we'll look at Giolito in the offseason. But let's run on the assumption of they said, okay, let's not. We don't like Giolito. We don't think he's the guy we're going to target in the offseason. So, one, there's no need to put a claim in on him. And two, you can cross him off your list in the offseason. Well, then what you just said of, well, what if they don't get this? Well, you can't let that happen. That's the thing is that can't happen. You have to then either overpay or get into the bidding war and win the bidding war if you're the St. Louis Cardinals. So that that is why when you started to say that, I went, okay, well, if we cross off Giolito, they can't start losing on all those top-end arms. Or you got to go out and got to go trade for that arm if you end yep. up losing out, too. I, I just looked at it as 
it gives you the opportunity to either say, yeah, this guy is definitely worth our pursuit in free agency. And if he's in house and it works, then guess what? That makes life easier for you when you got to go into free agency to get that number one. Um, rather than sitting here and wondering. And maybe you're right. Maybe this is their answer already and saying, yeah, we're already crossing them off the list. But the bullpen one, too, is infuriating. And I understand that, look, you can go get these guys on the market via free agency. You didn't have to bring them in for a month. But why not? I I mean, somebody texted in on our Air Comfort Service text line and said, so, Alex, you just want to keep dumpster diving like this Cardinals team does. Yeah, because it's a dumpster of a season. And why wouldn't I want to dive in to see if I can find some – Uh, Some pieces that were thrown away that shouldn't have been thrown away, like a Lopez, because maybe that at least gives you what if you get um, what's his face from a couple of years ago that they let walk in free agency? Why am I blanking on his name? Garcia. What if you find another Garcia and you say, let's not let this one get away. Let's let this one be a part of our middle of the bullpen. We're going to talk about this later, but just as much as I feel like the rotation needs to be fixed. You need to really do something with this bullpen. Yeah, the bullpen one is a little harder to kind of understand their reasoning of not doing it outside of like, hey, we didn't want to pay the remaining freight on Matt Moore's contract. I mean, it's like, look, for the final, what is it, month of the season, it's not like you're paying him $5 million. He's probably making like a million bucks the rest of the year. But compared to like what someone like, I'm just trying to think who's in that bullpen right now, like Andrew Suarez, for example, he's making a lot less than that than what Matt Moore is because his contract's less. So maybe that's what it is. It was more money. And they just, maybe they don't want to add pieces right now to this team to make it better. And they are, they wouldn't say it publicly, but they are tanking for the the higher slot in terms of the draft yeah, lottery. Makes sense. Which makes sense. People that's what a lot okay of teams are doing. <laughs> um, but I, I think when you look at the bullpen arms, it's not like with the rotation where it is, you know, if we brought in a Giolito, we would be taking a spot up in blocking a ROM or a Liberator. So when they when you look at the bullpen, it's not they're giving young guys opportunities. Like maybe Wilking Rodriguez comes back, they'll have Helsley back. But do you really need like Casey Lawrence? Do you really need Suarez. Jacob Barnes, Andrew Suarez? You couldn't take one flyer on one bullpen arm. Right. So, to your point, see what he looks like. You get to see him in person. You get to look at him, have him have the medicals on him, and then go, okay, we really like what we saw from Ronaldo Lopez, or we really liked what we saw from Matt Moore. Let's not let him get away like we did with Luis Garcia. Does the Bader and Hunter, this has nothing to do with the Cardinals because I don't think they were going after any of these guys, but does Bader and Hunter Renfro getting claimed by Cincinnati surprise you at all? Um, So the more I've been looking into this, not really, because they were one of those teams that was bad defensively in the outfield. So Especially adding Harrison Bader field. really helps you in terms of outs above average. They were near the bottom. Because so you're really good up the middle now. Bader with really helps. India and De La Cruz and now yeah. Bader. Um, and Renfro's interesting because he's the kind of player that is more of a platoon bat, can hit lefties well. So he's interesting. I think he's a really good pickup that in that ballpark is going to mash significantly. Playing at the Cincinnati small park will really help Hunter Renfro. What I don't understand is the Guardians' claims of Giolito, Matt Moore, and Ronaldo Lopez. Um, I don't know if they're – they don't scream a team that would be taking the flyer like we were just talking about the Cardinals where it is bring him in, get to see him, and then maybe you get to sign him in the offseason because the Guardians are loaded with pitching. Now, this signals that they are trying to make a push for the um, – uh, AL Central. Yeah, they are five games Which back with a month to go. So, like, pretty much already yours. But <laughs> maybe, maybe the Guardians view it five games back of the Minnesota Twins and are saying, you know what? Why not? Why not just go for it? Really help our fan. Really show our fan base that we want to get into the playoffs. But they're the ones that surprised me. I'm surprised the Guardians decided to make three claims on these three pitchers because I thought for sure 
that Giolito was going to fall to like the San Francisco Giants and these bullpen arms were going to go to like the Marlins who are looking for bullpen help. I did not see the Guardians coming up and stepping in and saying, we're going to claim these three pitchers. And then poor Randall Gritchick. Yeah, man. Left how without do you, a team. You how do you feel you going into waved. your free agency year and the Angels go, we're putting you on waivers, there's a chance somebody claims you. Oh, okay, good. Uh, Randall, you're in the lineup today. Where at? Here. Uh, what? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you Nobody went, wanted you. You went from bottom to top in teams in Major League Baseball, and they said, no, not so Morgan. much on Randall Gritchick. How do you feel about how much you and BK wanted to pursue Randall Gritchick now that no team wanted him? Well, in my defense. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think there is an in my defense right now. I'm sure it's like I'm sure the Royals would love a Randall Gritchick if they weren't trying to lose. You know? What about the teams that are trying to win? Well, they're loaded in the But outfield. you wanted Randall Gritchick when they were trying to win. Yeah, I mean, he was much better than Dylan Carlson this year offensively. Poor, poor Randall Gritchick. But, yeah. again, if you missed hey, it. Former Cardinal, Dominic Leone, claimed by the Mariners. How come we didn't talk about him? Another winning player right there. Cardinals missed out on another bullpen arm. If you missed it, though, Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Matt Moore, claimed by the Guardians. Harrison Bader, Hunter Renfro, claimed by the Cincinnati Reds. So the, clay, the waiver claims are now complete. And the Cardinals roster has no changes to it. We've got the junk drawer coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is time that we dive into our junk drawer today. And T-Bone, you got something for us special. Did you guys see this where you can now, ESPN has partnered with the Theater Sports Network to where they will be televising some ACC college football games and the college football playoffs at some movie theaters. Are you in no. on going to the movie theaters to watch a football no. game? This is just like when movie theaters tried to do something right, special to get you paid money. Let me ask someone that's not antisocial. Grant. That's not even antisocial, though. I would much rather watch it in my own house where I don't have to pay for drinks and food than watch it at a theater and have to pay. We've already talked about this. You take things into the movie theater you're not supposed to. Very true. So you have to pay for things anyway. But I still have to pay for that, whereas my food's already bought at home. And I don't have to leave the middle of the game to go to the bathroom. Well, that's your own fault. I mean, you you do. Wait, yeah. Wait, Are you taking on. the TV into the bathroom at home? No, but my are television going, is close to my bathroom. I'm going to turn the volume up, and I can still hear it. I got to walk out into the the uh, common area to go to the bathroom. I mean, you have the end of quarters, halftime. That's not enough time, man. That's when everybody's going to the you bathroom. Are high maintenance. I don't you know need that. to wait in line to go to the bathroom. I go home, and there's no line there. There's no pee on the floor there. I wash my hands fine. This is all this. I got my own cup holders at home. I got a comfortable couch. I don't have to sit in a sticky seat. Why? Why is this appealing for people? I'm fascinated to know what this looks like. How much money is it to go? I have not seen where it says how much it is. The other thing. All I've seen is it's they're going to do 75 games in movie theaters this fall. You really want to go pay like $25 to go watch a football game on a big screen? I mean, it's like being in a mini crowd if it's full. I can have a mini That's crowd fun. in my house. Who's going to be no, the? No, per- you wouldn't. Who's no, the- you would. <laughs> Who's going to be the person that goes? Shh, we're in a movie theater. 
Absolutely. Okay. That's a Ferrari. Then I get irritated. <laughs> That's I'm watching, a Ferrari. I'm, a, I'm, I'm watching, watching a football game. Yeah. I, I, I'm so out on this. I, I don't know if I would want to do it. I would go to do it once just to experience it and see what it's like. Because I think Grant's right. It does have somewhat of a kind of a crowd atmosphere like you're at a game. It's on a really big screen. Like, don't get me wrong. I like my, I don't even remember what I've got, 50-inch TV. But, like, I can go from 50 to, like, 80-inch TV with surround sound. And there's, I can go and buy a soda. I can get some food while I'm there, too. Like, I can see where this could potentially be appealing. Someone said Alex doesn't want to go because he sits down to pee. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not doing that in a public bathroom. So nail the text line. You thought you were making fun of me. Jokes on you. Yes. Uh, five, seven, three. Um, no beer. That is a big knock. Now, uh, some, some of them theaters, sell beer. I was yeah. say, some theaters do have beer or you could do like no, uh, if you get intoxicated while you're watching it, they're probably going to kick you out. Yeah, <laughs> oh, just like it's stupid. I, I, Isn't that the whole point of football games? Am I right? But I, I, I find this interesting because I'm interested to know how this goes over and if people are going to have the same I, approach as Alex, where it's like, why w- would I go pay to I go think watch it'd be that? A big hit at first, and then like most things, they it would tried start to this fall with off. UFC fights too, though, and it like it yeah, didn't but work. UFC fights aren't the same as a football game. I know for a football game that if I'm paying the now look, the game could be a blowout, but I know if I'm paying for my ticket, I know for the next two but, and a half to three hours, I'm locked in on a football game for a UFC fight. You could spend that money to go watch it, and the guy could kick him in the head, and the fight's over in yeah, a matter of but minutes. But there's multiple fights, and for UFC, that costs you like $100 to watch it because it's like pay-per-view, whereas a football game, like you're not paying to watch that anywhere else, but now you're paying to go somewhere to watch it. Someone texted in and said, Alex doesn't have friends, I can tell. Yeah. Probably correct. I, I don't. Nobody ever wants to hang out with me around here. Would I asked Mike Ryder, and he's like, no. Would you do it once, though, just to experience it? I try it. it just to see what it was like. But and he'd soon- leave... After the first quarter, because he'd be irritated. Only if it wasn't fun. If it was fun, then maybe I'd be in. Because someone said it's like a sports bar. Yeah, and like for big games, sports bars are fun. Like yeah. during that cup run, I would have much rather been watching those at a sports bar if I couldn't have been at the game than watching it at home by myself. But like week three of the college football season, like do I really want to go drop $25 to go watch a game in a movie theater? Someone says this from the 618s, a theater in Edwardsville had Battle Hawks watch parties. was pretty fun. I didn't know they did that. That's actually... I never heard about that. Now, you know what would be awful? If you paid this money because you wanted to go and there was a group of people and have fun and you go and nobody else is there so you're paying to watch it in a movie theater by yourself. That's why you should go to one of the early games. <laughs> like, 10 a.m. Uh, in this article that I just that I read, in week one, the Virginia game in Nashville against Tennessee will be in a movie theater, North Carolina versus South Carolina, which is a primetime game in week one, will be there as well, along with LSU's top 10 showdown against Florida State. So, like, if you go to one of those games and, like, then I think you're going to see where people are like us, where it's like, hey, I'd go just to experience it. If you wait till like one of the last games of the year, that may not be the case if this doesn't go over well. Someone, someone also brought up another good, uh, good point. Like, how many fist fights are going to be taking place? In these movie theaters during these games. They need extra security. Yeah, like you're going to have to have, there's going to be some type of viral video of somebody just getting beat up at a movie theater watching this games, and that's when this all goes down the hole. I will say, I think movie theaters would struggle to have success with this just because if I'm going to go out and go to like a watch party sort of vibe, I just go to Ballpark Village. Like if it was a Blues game or a Cardinals game, yeah. I just go to Ballpark Village. It's because it's an open area. Like that's maybe the other thing too, where it's like you're contained into that seat, you know? Like it's not like it's an open area you like you know at ronnie's where they have that when you walk in and they got that those cars and the big t- uh big television screen 
Like, that's like an open air. And I remember March Madness when I was younger, you'd go there to see a movie and the games would be on and people would just be standing around. Like, that's cooler. That's where Ballpark Village is appealing rather than I'm in a movie theater, you're sitting in this seat. Because let's be honest, those seats are not comfortable. Uh, some are. You just negative all the time. They're not comfortable, man. The newer ones? Have you been to the IMAX theaters with I, the like leather seats? Dude, somebody asked oh. me that the other day. They said, when was the last time you went to a movie? I said, "I probably 2018. Well, okay. It's been a while. Say, so the last movie I saw was Oppenheimer, and that was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Worth it. Someone asked the question, too, why is there so much pee on the floor in the bathrooms? Have you been to public bathrooms? Yeah, they're tough. They're everywhere, man. Nobody knows how to use those anymore, which is why everybody should sit down to urinate. Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Terrible idea by T-Bone, but again, I don't have friends, so it makes a lot of sense. You know who does have friends? The Cardinals rotation. Terrible segment. Cardinals what the hell rot- does that mean? <laughs> it's a terrible segue. I figured it would be not good at all. Can the Cardinals have a rotation like the Milwaukee Brewers? You might be like, what the hell does that mean? Tanner will explain next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. By the way, we're live on YouTube, our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. So you can go check that out as we continue throughout the day today. No BK today or tomorrow. He will be back on Monday. So we talk a lot about the rotation for the Cardinals, which makes sense because that's their biggest area of need. And of course, when teams are successful, you try and figure out how you can be a copycat of them. And I think a lot of people look at Texas and say, oh, well, the Cardinals need to go about it like the Texas Rangers did, where you spend a lot of money in free agency and you bring guys in. Everybody wants to be the best. So you look at the Braves and wonder, can you develop talent like them? But Tanner brought up another team that he went down a rabbit hole last night that the Cardinals might need to emulate their rotation building after. T-Bone, who was it? So, I don't know if you can build like them, but can you get a rotation that looks somewhat similar to it because all these guys were draft and develop? And that's the Milwaukee Brewers looking in your own division. I found it interesting. So there was a piece on ESPN.com talking about, you know, what makes the Braves so good? Can anybody beat them? And this was written by uh, Jesse Rogers. And I find it interesting. So... I want to read something here from this piece. Several respondents talking about executives here, however, added that the Milwaukee Brewers are in the mix with the Dodgers and Phillies as teams that could potentially beat the Atlanta Braves in the playoffs. They're the hottest team in the NL, and the case for them comes down to three names. Now that Woodruff is back, the Brewers are as good as anyone else in the NL, one executive said. Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta have been doing it for a while, and their offense is better than that with since Santana joined them. But Milwaukee, in a short series, could potentially test the Atlanta Braves. Like, when we think about the Milwaukee Brewers, we don't think about their offense. Sure, like they added Carlos Santana. Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) But their offense is not that great. Their offense last year was the biggest reason they fell apart down the stretch and the fact that the front office was like, oh, we're in it? Okay, we'll just trade Hater. But um, I look at the Brewers, and when you talk about the Milwaukee Brewers, if they are being viewed across Major League Baseball as someone that can compete with the Atlanta Braves, the best team in the NL East, why? Because just those three names at the front of their rotation. I look at what the Cardinals have to do this offseason, and I go, can you build a rotation that is not – not? you can't do it how Milwaukee did it because that takes years to develop. 
like Milwaukee did. Can you go do that and build some kind of rotation that kind of resembles what Milwaukee has? Meaning which is 1A, 1A, 1B, kind of what Philly has, but they don't have the really number three like Freddie Peralta. Like yeah. Freddie Peralta is the a really good number three for Milwaukee. He's not I don't think he's a two anywhere, but he's a really good number three that's got swing and miss stuff. Now, Woodruff and Burns have been like 40% above league average when you look at their numbers when they've been healthy their last four years. So I don't know if you can go get two of those guys, but can you create a rotation that somewhat resembles what the Milwaukee Brewers have this offseason? And when you do that, can you make it good enough to where teams can look at you next year and go, well, you know, the Cardinals have a good offense, but look at their pitching. Their pitching could shut down an Atlanta Braves lineup, or it could shut down ALA Dodgers lineup. I just find it interesting that we no, we never talk about the Brewers. I don't ever, I don't even really consider them a legitimate contender. But apparently, executives across baseball say, "Hey, they could beat the Braves in a short five-game set." Why? Because those three horses that they've got at the front of their rotation. Yeah, and so if you're trying to emulate what the Brewers have, it's you have a legit one-two punch. Much like Washington had when they won with Strasburg and Scherzer, much like what you're seeing in Philadelphia with Nola and Wheeler. And rather than having a one and then a bunch of guys who are competing for upside, you have a one two punch and then everybody else. And if we're going after the Brewers, you got a like I think Michaelis fills the spot that we're talking about Peralta. Now, I know Michaelis is getting some of us concerned for how the season is going, but if you look at the last couple of years, including this year, Michaelis has been what Freddie Peralta has been. So then it's just talking about getting that one two punch. And to accomplish that, you're talking sign and trade. You're not talking two signings. Because if you're going down the path of two signings of, because to do this, I mean, you're talking going to get Nola and Snell or Nola and Yamamoto. And as much as people want to see that happen, that's $60 million that you're dropping on two guys. Maybe if we're on the lower side of it, $50 million. And Cardinals aren't going to put that towards two people. So that's where if you want to emulate that, now we go back to what I talked about and what I've been um, just begging for, which I know you guys put a treaty on it, but let's be honest, the treaty maker's not here in BK, make a trade with Seattle. Go get one of those guys, but to do that, you're giving up assets off of your own team. But that's the only way that you can do Milwaukee, is a signing of a free agent and trading for another one, because I just don't see this team dropping that much money on two guys. Yeah, and I think if you're going to try and emulate what Milwaukee has, and I, I think you're probably right. I don't even know if you can do it, because when I would... Woodruff has been, and he's been unhealthy the last couple of years. He just returned from injury not that long ago. I think he's made five starts this year. Yeah, But when him and Burns have been healthy and have been starting like 30 games in a season, they've been 40% above league average. Oh, yeah. Like, you, I don't even know if there's one guy that you can kind of look at and say could be that for Maybe Blake Snell because he's got a lot of swing Burns, and Burns, you mean? Burns slash Woodruff. Oh, I got they're, you. Okay. They're what, the same player. It's it's interesting how Woodruff kind of, I feel like he flies under the radar, even though they've basically been the same guy. Um, but I, I don't know if you can kind of take what Milwaukee has and go, okay, can we get two guys 40% above league average? Probably not because, like, we compared him yesterday, you know, Yamamoto, could he be what Tanaka was for the Yankees when they signed him? He was 14% above league average in his time with New York. So maybe if you, like, sign Blake Snell, pull off the trade that you're talking about, you'd have to give up a significant piece of, like, a Nolan Gorman to Seattle to get a Logan Gilbert or a George Kirby or whatever whatever piece you want and then go out there and sign, like, a number 
three or four slight packs and someone like that. It's possible they could do that this offseason. But even then, that is one where it's like, okay, it's tough to look at that and say, is that what Milwaukee has? I just find Milwaukee to be fascinating because the only reason they're in the conversation is because of their pitch. The third one, though, the tough part for the Cardinals, if it's not Michaelis, is you're going upside. And Milwaukee knows what they're getting from Freddie Peralta. Like, you know he's going to be a legit number three for you. And anybody you sign, if you deem Michaelis a number four, you're going upside. Because now you're talking about even more money that you're spending, unless you're trading for that number three. But again, now you're talking about a ton of money. Let me ask you this. Does Dylan Cease match any of those? Because Logan Gilbert seems like it's not going to happen. And any of those other Seattle guys, just they're unknown commodities right now. Does Dylan Cease match what Burns or Woodruff is because I heard the morning show talk about it today of trading Gorman and Graceffo to get a Dylan Cease from Chicago. But to me, Dylan Cease had one dominant year and that was last year when he won the Cy Young. Other than that, he's been about 10 points over league average and this year he's been underperforming. Does he match that? Uh, that's that's a good question. Um, because that's the type of trade we're talking yeah. about here. I, I think he probably matches it more than like a Logan Gilbert if you're going to go this route. If you're going, let's get two guys with just electric swing and miss stuff at the top of our rotation. Because both last year when he finished second for Cy Young and 2021, he was 38% above league average. So if you're going to get to the point that we're talking about, of okay, get two guys that have got legit swing and miss stuff, like some of the best in baseball stuff. Could, could you do a... Sign Blake Snell, trade for Dylan Cease, figure out what your number four is, whether it be trade market or signing again. Paxton's kind of my placeholder for that spot. Or maybe even like a um, Herman Marquez who's coming recovering from Tommy John or yeah. a Tyler Molly guy, guy on a reclamation project. I think you could potentially be looking at it. Like a front-end rotation of Luke, or uh, excuse me, of um, Blake Snell. Yes, he does have the walk issue, but you saw like, his stuff is great. Like, he had, what, nine strikeouts and five walks in the outing against the Cardinals and held them to two hits and no runs. He's got great swing and miss stuff. And then you have a guy like Dylan Cease that if you can figure out why did it go wrong this year for him, then, yeah, I think you've got a making of something that looks somewhat similar to Milwaukee to where teams would look at you going to the playoffs and go, oh, we don't want to face that. That's that thing that, that what BT said, I can't remember if it was like, last oh, year. Yeah, like, oh, bleep, we've got yeah. to face these guys. Oh, bleep, we've got to face this guy today. That's what that kind of rotation would be. If you were to give Snell the money he's looking for, trade for Dylan Cease, and get someone that's kind of that number four and have Michaelis as your three. The, the first thing that's going to happen ha- have to happen with this is the Cardinals admitting that Miles Michaelis is not a number three. And that's the part that I guess you're just going to have deferring opinions on because... At sometimes I feel like he is a number three. Somebody texted in and said he's twenty eight and forty in his last three years. He's not a number three. First of all, I'm not going to look at record to determine if he's a number three. You'll look at the amount of innings he's throwing and the ERA, and he's got a three point nine ERA and he's thrown about three hundred and sixty six innings. I mean three point nine. You'd probably like that to be a little bit lower if you're a number three. But I mean I don't know about you, T Bone, but a number three for me, I would determine somewhere around like a three point three, three point six ERA. The thing that's tough with Michaelis and trying to figure out if he's a three is he pitches to so much contact. So, like, I know, like, people don't want me to, don't like when I say this, but if you're a pitch-to-contact pitcher, you're kind of a pitcher that really needs to rely on some luck. And defense. And and a good defense, yeah, and that's another thing, too. And if the Cardinals, which have had a bad defense this year, you it can lead to some runs against Miles Michaelis. 
the tough part with Michaelis is as much as like you say, well, Dylan C's had a four ERA this year. Why would you bank on him? Well, look at Michaelis when he's been healthy. Michaelis when he's been healthy, twenty was yeah. it twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen, really good. Twenty nineteen was okay. Then he dealt with the injuries, was great last year, and then this year's a down year. Like he has the same roller coaster that we're talking about with Cease, but the thing that he can't rely on that Cease does have, Cease has swing and miss stuff. He's striking out like nine, ten batters per Absolutely. nine innings. Miles Michaels isn't that guy. He's like averaging like six strikeouts per nine. So there's just a bit of a difference there. And like Peralta, who I said is a three for Milwaukee, he's averaging eleven and a half strike. He's got eleven and a half strikeouts per nine innings right now, and he's a number three, and he's got like a four ERA. If Michaels had more swing and miss, I'd feel really comfortable saying, yeah, he's a number three. Right now, I think it's okay to have him as a three as a pitch to contact innings eating, eating pitcher. But if you can upgrade, you're in a better spot. If you spot. can upgrade and you have some money left, because we don't know what the budget will be for the Cardinals this offseason, but say you had, you sign Blake Snell, you trade for Dylan Cease, you add a bullpen arm, and then you look at it and you go, you know what, we got $12 million left. Let's throw it in at another number number three starter on the market. Give him a one-year deal. Here's where I don't want them to do that. Because if you're talking about Milwaukee, what I would imagine most executives believe Milwaukee could give Atlanta a run for their money is not just because of Burns and Woodruff and Peralta. It's also because the back end of their bullpen, if you get there, it's going to be tough to deal with. And that is not the Cardinals. And... It, it's hard for me to say I want them to spend all of their money on going to get two legit guys in free agency and then get maybe that third because now my bullpen's not going to be upgraded. And for me, if this team wants to be competitive, as much as I want to see them go out there and get two studs, maybe three studs for your rotation, this team also has to go get two, at best two arms, but at least one more legit stud for your bullpen because going into next season you've got Gallegos who is inconsistent Helsley who I don't know if he's healthy and Romero who I just can't judge him on one season and then from there I got a bunch of unknowns sure Wilking Rodriguez might be an option but I don't know what the heck he is uh Guillermo, Guillermo Zuniga he's either injured or the Cardinals don't believe he's a bullpen arm I'm leaning towards option B probably <laughs> yes but you could go out there and get Nola and go out there and trade for Dylan Cease and go out there and sign my guy Luis Severino and say, we're ready to go. But if my bullpen looks like what it does now, doesn't matter because if one of those arms goes down, my bullpen ain't going to be able to handle this. And that's why I think, like, as much as we talk about, they need to go, they need three major league pitchers going into this offseason, or they need to acquire three major league pitchers this offseason. I do think one of them is probably going to have to come via trade because it does save money to do what you're talking about. Because I do think they need a minimum one arm to be added to that bullpen. And I do think this equation can change depending on how Gallegos finishes the season. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm getting, getting emotional. emotional about this. Well, you buddy? know how I love a good you do, bullpen. You do love um, pitching, but I, I think you're right because you look at Ryan Helsley. He's not a guy. That's I gonna, don't trust that. <laughs> I, I I think he's got electric stuff, but I don't know how he translates because we've seen this year. Like he's kind of Tyler O'Neill ish, where it is. I'm not really feeling it today. I don't think I'm going to take the ball. You look at uh, from the left side, JoJo Romero. I think you're spot on. It's only been he's been great this year. It's really the first year he's had an opportunity and has really proven that. What's he look like next year? Gio is had some alarming outings for the Cardinals this year. I'm a little bit concerned about him going into next year. So there are question marks around your top arms. They definitely do need to add somebody else. They If they're going to be like what the Brewers are, you're right. Not only do you need a top two that's got swing and miss stuff and is electric, 
you've got to have a bullpen that is really deep as well. And my concern with all of this is the way that Michael Gersh pushed back when we talked to him a couple of months ago when I said, like, there's a lot to do on this list. How are you going to accomplish all of them? And he said, well, we actually don't feel like there's that much to do. He was optimistic about the bullpen. You can't be optimistic about any of your pitching going into next season because if you are, you're going to convince yourself that I don't have to spend the amount of money that's necessary to make my team competitive. And I just don't believe the Cardinals can accomplish being a winning team without being aggressive on both the free agent market and trades to try and build this rotation and bullpen the way that's necessary. Everybody's favorite segment of the week is coming up next. T-Bone's warming up the pipes, believe it or not, comes your way after this on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me I can't believe it myself Suddenly I'm up on top of the world Tanner is just casually walking into the studio T-Bone, you missed it, my man Here it comes Believe it or not, I'm walking on air I never thought I could feel so free (laughs) Flying away It's just me. He just walks in from the bathroom and just nails it. Might have been my best performance. Yet. I I filled in for BK. That had to be a quick commercial break, by the way. Well, or a long pee, whichever one you want to say. I thought I was pretty quick. But I don't think you were. You casually walking down the hallway, my yeah, man. You I need thought, to have some foot I'm speed. I'm not going to lie. Let's get thought, some high knees. I thought our executive producer, Mike Ryder, was pulling a fast one on me. Well. He's like, hey, you're live. <laughs> yeah, right. You need to get some, of the corner. You need to get some high knees when you're coming down this hallway, not this casual stroll around the building. Man, must be getting. By the old. way, I nailed BK's part, so he is out moving forward. I'll um, hit the high pitch stuff. I, I should sure. take some accountability here too, you because should've, I should have. Yeah. I should have moved some time you, up in that. You should have seen Grant's That's face when me. he knew we were coming back. It looked like he just saw a car coming at him, and he was a deer. He's like, oh my god, T Bone's not here. Well, because I'm not saying hey, so. It's gonna worry. be all on you, Alex. I uh, I won. I won American Idol on karaoke once, and uh, I'm incredible. So when T-Bone's down here, I'll take it. It is, believe it or not, on 101 ESPN's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, voice of an angel. Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Send us your, believe it or not, scenarios to 314-399-9646. That's our Air Comfort Service text line. Or you could send them over on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Let's start with this one, boys. Believe it or not. The Cardinals starting nine will be one of the most consistent starting nine in Major League Baseball next season. And I don't know how you judge this, but what I'm coming up, what I'm coming after is this is the starting nine next season is going to be to the level of every single day, you know, nine guys are going to be in their starting positions. Well, I'm not going to believe that because I think there will be one platoon. And try not to riot St. Louis. But I think there will be one platoon. They can't have one platoon, man. I I think some of the consistency of the offense, like what happens in like what they just went through before the last two wins. Like, yes, was it a little alarming the offense had been struggling against some okay pitching like Paul Bleepin' Blackburn? Yeah, but I also know one, like these guys are in the dog days of summer for a team that's not playing for anything. 
And two, every offense goes through a cold stretch. Like, I think it gets overstated how much the the inconsistency of the Cardinals offense because we watch it every day. Uh, you, If we watch the Braves every day, I'm sure there would be a time that we would say, oh, wow, the offense has gone cold here. Or if you watch the Dodgers for a, a stretch, you'd go, oh, the offense has gone cold here. I think it is just over amplified here because we have to watch it every day. I think it'll be more consistent next year, but as long as you have two guys like Tommy Edmond and Brendan Donovan, who they love to use as utility guys, I don't see it being consistent every but single day. But isn't that day. as consistent as the Atlanta Braves? Because even if they've got two guys that are playing one position, you know that they're going to be the out question. there. I'm just asking consistency, and consistency is I know it's either going to be Edmund or Donovan in the outfield. I'm still not going to believe it. <laughs> I'm not going to believe it either, by the way. I'm just throwing it out there because I wanted to see where you guys were. Believe it or not, the St. Louis Cardinals will sign a former Cardinal this offseason. So just a couple names real quick that will pop into this category. Dominic Leone. Well, technically, yes. I didn't even think of him. But uh, <laughs> Randall Gritchick, Harrison Bader. Um, Pitching-wise, Michael Waka, because I saw Lisa text in and ask about him. Um, he could, he probably, I thought he signed one where he had an option with San He's Diego. got a mutual option oh, okay. and I could see where he maybe explores the market. I not a hundred percent sure on that. Um, then he also got guys that they traded this past deadline, like Montgomery, Jack Hicks, Stratton. So believe it or not, they will sign one former Cardinal and we'll have a reunion. I'll believe this one. And I don't think it's going to be an outfielder. I think it's going to be a pitcher. Carpenter. Oh, Matt or Chris. Well, I would assume Chris, Chris is willing to come out pitching. of retirement. I guarantee that man can still deal. No, it's going to be a pitcher. Waka's intriguing because he's had success now in two different places in two years. And I would imagine the Cardinals are thinking if we got to go get a 3-4 for cheaper, he might be that option. I don't believe it's going to be Bader or Gritchick, though. Uh, they're going to be set with their outfield. You're going to have Newbar and Walker. No, those guys are out there. We've talked about Edmund and Donovan as utilities. You're going to have Alec Burleson. And frankly, you might not be able to trade Carlson and O'Neill. Or, uh, yeah, Carlson and O'Neill. You might have the same damn, out, damn outfield as you had this year, just with more consistency in terms of two of those three players. But I'll say believe it, because I, I, I believe one of those pitchers will be a Cardinal again. I'm not going to believe it just because I think on the starting pitching market, they're going to go out and get the the high end guys and not really have the money to spend to bring those guys in. So I'm not going to believe it uh, for me. Believe it or not, the Cardinals will sign two starting pitchers. Zach Thompson will be your fifth starter. And the Cardinals will also sign a bullpen piece out of that. Not I'm not going to believe it. So I, Thompson's not going to be a starter next year unless someone gets hurt in camp. They will. And the reason that I'm not playing off of that assumption is because you said only signed two. I think they're adding three major league starters this offseason. And I know a lot of people. Look, I understand the skepticism. Via free agency or trade in free agency? I, I think it's. Because I don't think it's all free agency. I don't think it's all free agency either. I think they're probably trading for somebody. But Thompson's role going into spring training next year will be you're, you're stretched out as a starter. Maybe we carry you as a swingman in the bullpen that can eat some innings if needed. Um, or you're going to be that number one guy down in Memphis. And if he is in the rotation opening day, my assumption is it's because somebody got hurt that they either signed or Michaelis or Matz is dealing with an injury. So I'm not going to believe it because Thompson's not going to be in this rotation unless something's gone wrong. I, I'm curious with him if they're going to make it a competition between he and Steven Matz. I wonder if they're to the point where they just don't know with Steven Matz and they're fed up and Thompson deals at spring training and they say, hey, you know what? 
Mats might be a bullpen piece to start things off so we can keep him healthy all season long. But I'm also not going to believe this one because I do think they're going to sign or trade for three starting pitchers. I think you're going to get the top end guy, whether it's Aaron Nola or Blake Snell. I think you're going to get some type of project like a Luis Severino or a Tyler Malley. And then I think you're trading for another guy. I think if Zach Thompson pitches the way he has and he sustains this throughout the rest of this season, I think they try him as a starter next season. Just because, like, what's the next step for Zach Thompson? If they see him as a starter long term, what's the next step for him? Are they going to continue to yank him around like they did, you know, throughout the beginning of this season? Or are you just going to let him keep the spot that he sort of earned at the end of this season? Yeah, I'm fascinated to know what they do with Thompson. I I think the people don't want to hear this because you mentioned what is what do they do with Mats and Thompson? I think the contract puts Mats in the rotation. Yeah, well, and you also and have Hudson too. too, though. Well, uh, I no, think I'm the, saying Hudson might be over Zach Thompson for how he's performed at the end oh, of the season. Oh, I think Thompson will be above Hudson. I think I I think it's possible the way that Thompson has performed that he may actually bump Hudson out. And what I mean by that is maybe because originally it was okay, Hudson's pitched really well. Maybe he's the six. But if Hudson's the seventh or the eighth on the depth chart, are you going to tender him because he's going to be making millions of dollars? Not millions, but a million some bucks in the minor leagues? I I don't know. Maybe you tender him and trade him. I got another one for you. Believe it or not, let's go to the NFL here. The Green Bay Packers finish above 500. Not believe this. I think the hype on Jordan Love is just overrated. I just haven't seen it from Jordan Love that says he can be a competent white uh, quarterback and he doesn't have weapons. Like Christian Watson is their best weapon right now. Stud. It was a stud like the final four or five weeks of the season, but also had Aaron Rodgers throwing to him. And also, they say that Aaron Jones is the lifeblood of that team. If Aaron Jones is the lifeblood of that team, I don't know if Aaron Jones is going to make it full, through the full season. So I, I just, I don't see it. I, I think they're going to be a 500 team, maybe a game or two better, but I don't see them being a successful team. This is a tough one because I see them being right around that area of 500 at the end of the season, but being in the NFC and playing a lot of teams that are bad, I could see the Packers getting over 500. So I'll believe it. I'm not going to believe it either because I'm kind of with Alex. I think the hype on Jordan love is getting, it's getting absurd. (laughs) It's not like they're saying like, Hey, he can get them to the Super Bowl. No, but but he's using the Wilson Contreras. This is my house. This is my team. It is interesting how, all of a sudden, everybody's kind of viewing Green Bay as like a team that can be competing in the NFC North. And I look at them and I go, really? Like, yeah, okay, your defense is good. But even great defensive teams that have a bad quarterback situation, like the Saints is a team that immediately pops into my mind. The Broncos have a team that can pop they're into the, my mind. They're the third best team in the NFC North. And behind, I don't, behind Detroit and the Bears? Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, I can understand people saying the Vikings are better than them because Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins, um, what's his Jordan Addison? Like they've got a better now. Did they fix their defense? Probably not. Green Bay's got a better defense, but I, I believe the Lions and Bears are better than the Packers going into this I, season. I think the Lions are, are the team that should be favored to win the d- division, and I think they will. I think the Bears, the Vikings, and the Packers are all kind of right in that same area. I think I think the Packer, or excuse me, I think the Vikings and the uh, Bears will be better than. Green Bay, just because I don't, I just don't trust Jordan Love. I, yeah. I have no reason to believe Jordan Love can be that guy. This is an interesting one from the six one eight. Believe it or not, we don't see Yadier Molina at Bush Stadium at all this season. Why would we? Wayno's last start. Yeah, I'm 
even then. Like I think maybe we see him there, then. But... I think we see him then. I'm, are you a little surprised that we haven't seen him at all yet this season? No. He didn't even want to be here last year. He went to Puerto Rico. Well, he's his got a basketball, basketball team, team to was run. going for the championship. Well, that's Jinx, what he's by doing the way. Now. Well, maybe the season will be over by then. Uh, you're going to see him. I'm not going to believe this. You'll see him in Wayno's last start, especially if he's going for 200. You'll see him. Yeah, I'd be shocked if he wasn't yeah. there at Wayno's. He'll, he'll final be game. on the field. He'll probably catch first pitch or something like. He'll be there. He'll be there. Not catch first pitch from Wayno. You get the ceremonial first pitch. But Yachty will be there. Yeah, I, bet I do Albert think will be there too. Yeah, there. Yeah, because Albert see. was at. I believe Albert was at the. Cardinals Hall of Fame inductions when yeah. that happened yeah, he was front row, a couple think, weekends ago. Yeah. So. so, yeah, he'll be there. Uh, that was Believe It or Not. Thank you for all the text on Area Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Let's get to some NFL quick hitters. And one topic that I didn't believe BK yesterday, now I'm starting to wonder. Let's We'll get to that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's get to some NFL quick hitters alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario, and we'll start with a question BK posed yesterday that I kind of pushed back on saying, like, no, nah, I think we're good here. Whether Joe Burrow's getting that contract extension, if the injury's playing into it. I just figured this was preseason, and it's like, let's just make sure Joe Burrow's ready to go for the start of the season. Now I'm not so sure, because if you missed it, uh, Zach Taylor was talking earlier today, wouldn't commit on Joe Burrow starting in week one. He said, quote, just taking it day to day right now. I don't know if he's going to start day uh, week one. Now, maybe this is just the Bengals being the Bengals and trying to make everyone wonder. And there's Joe Burrow trotting out to the field on the I first game. I really got to keep them Cleveland Browns off balance. Really got to make sure that uh, who's their quarterback. Oh, Deshaun Watson's not expecting this one. But if he doesn't start, is that concerning at all in terms of Cincinnati this upcoming season? This season, no, because like he's if he misses time, I'm sure it's just one, two games. Like, I think he's starting week one. I I think this is his calf still hurts. They're gonna put him on the injury report. How'd you say it like that? His calf well, no, because, still hurts well, because like I think it's one of those where like he's been getting medical treatment on the calf because that's what he had uh, in training camp or whatever that was OTAs where he strained the calf muscle. I'm sure it's still something that is bothering him, but I don't think it's bothering him enough to where they say he's not starting week one. So I expect Joe Burrow still to be the quarterback when the Bengals take the field on the first Sunday of the NFL season in Cleveland. I think this is kind of like, as you were saying there, I think this is just like gamesmanship by the Cincinnati Bengals. I totally expect Joe Burrow to be playing week one against Cleveland. I will say the one thing that is concerning with this, if the Bengals had a good offensive line, I think it'd be a little bit of a different story. But the fact that they don't have a good offensive line and Burrow's been dealing with this, like that's concerning. If he gets hit a few times, like early on, I could see where, you know, if he makes that injury a little bit worse, that can be trouble for the Bengals. Yeah, and you don't need that happening to you right now. Speaking of quarterbacks, Kenny Pickett with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's very coincidental that somebody just texted in and said, can we give the Steelers some love right now? I can't because I still don't trust Kenny Pickett. Does he take that next step in your guys' eyes? Because I think Kenny Pickett is what Kenny Pickett showed last year. I think Kenny Pickett's an average quarterback. And I don't know if the... I don't know if the offensive line and the weapons in Pittsburgh are good enough to make Kenny Pickett any better than what he was last year. I think he takes the next step. Now, will they make the playoffs? I don't know because the AFC is just so loaded. Yeah, I think you know Um, who the playoff teams are in the AFC. Yeah, so I I don't know if they make the playoffs, but I'm actually 
a big fan of Kenny Pickett. I, I think he's the franchise guy in Pittsburgh. Now, where he ends up settling in terms of rankings of quarterbacks, the jury is still out. I, I don't know. It's going to take three, four, or five years before I really know that because you could be right. He could be an average NFL quarterback, and you can win with those guys. Look at Jared Goff, for example. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, think look he, at him. I think he could potentially end up kind of fitting into that top, right around that top 10 in the NFL and quarterbacks because he can use his legs. And I do. I thought he was better than I expected in the passing game last year. Now, he's going to have to cut back on turnovers. I think he went 7-9 and nine in terms of touchdown to interceptions. But I do think he takes the next step. I don't know if they're a playoff team still, mostly just because the AFC is so loaded. Let me ask you guys this. Who has a better season? Kenny Pickett or one of the three rookie quarterbacks that were drafted this year in the first round? So, so Richardson, young. Stroud, and Young. Who has a better season? I think Pickett. I'm with you. See, I think one of I would take the field on that, and one of those three have a but better like, season. I look than at Kenny those Pickett. teams, and I go, Bryce Young might get destroyed because Carolina's offensive line stinks. <laughs> um, C.J. Stroud, like he, Nobody he can to throw, throw a good to. ball, but like who's he throwing to? Like, look, I I drafted his starting tight end, not by not by want, may I add. It was more of, okay, I need another tight end. Because um, you were focusing too much on wide receivers. And then, like, I just don't know what to expect from Anthony Richardson. He, maybe he's the guy. I think but, their rushing ability showcases their ability to be a better quarterback but I, but though, I than think, Pickett. I, but Pickett can run, too. I think you're underestimating Pickett's maybe. running ability. I, I think if Richardson is having success this year, it looks kind of like what Fields did in year one and two, where he's not really using the arm, and it's more of, okay, we're going to play ground and pound, and our quarterback's going to be leading the rushing attack. So let's go over to uh, playoff contenders, which seems odd that we're saying that now, but uh, John Ewing, MG, or Bet MGM, uh, teams with 50% of bets right now to miss the NFL playoffs. The Buccaneers, the Jets, the Lions, the Bengals, the 49ers. The Buccaneers, by the way, the favorites, like minus 5,000. Yeah, save uh, your money. Plus 115 on the Jets, plus 145 on the Lions, plus 240 for the Bengals, plus 375 for the 49ers. I'm a little surprised that 50% of bets, and again, this isn't like the Sharps that are doing this. It's yeah. just your typical like Fam. us uh, betting on this. I'm a little surprised people are taking the Lions to miss the playoffs. Because Oops. of what we said, I think they are the best team in the NFC North. And even if they aren't and they don't win that division – they're good enough to make the playoffs in that I, NFC field. I would not be willing to put any money on an NFC team missing the playoffs. Like these three NFC teams, like, yeah, you're right. I think the Lions are the best team in that division. I think the 49ers are the best team in their division. And the Buccaneers, like, look, I get Buccaneers being the clear favorite on this list, but I, I, I can name six teams that I'm confident in are making the playoffs this year. And... I, if you look at the NFC South, like, yeah, the Falcons are the clear-cut better team than the Buccaneers, but the Buccaneers still do have a lot of weapons and one of the best offensive lines in the game. I don't know. I, I I would probably lean more towards, like, a Jets team not making the playoffs just because the AFC is so difficult. That's where I was going to go, is I'd be picking between either the Dolphins or the Jets, and I'd be picking which team between those two that I don't I think won't miss or won't make the playoffs. And I wouldn't be betting against the Jets. I think the Jets are going to make the playoffs this year. So I think if I was going to pick a team, it'd be the Dolphins. The Jets are the team that are interesting to where I could see where you talk yourself into this plus 115 because yeah. it's decent odds to do a bet on them to miss the playoffs and let's just be honest if things go south in New York like if they go they start the year let's say one and three I don't think they're the kind of team that's going to go let's rally together yeah. we're going to turn this around I don't think Rodgers is going to be rallying the troops if they underperform yeah. I think he's going to do another darkness retreat yeah and that's why like 
I, I can see where if it starts slow, and they've got a tough schedule right off the bat, versus the Bills at the Cowboys, the crappy Patriots, and then they've got the Chiefs at home. So they could lose three of the first four, and I could see where they end up falling the apart The Jets after. are a perfect example to me of a team that says, we're going to put together a super team of all of these talented players. We've got Rodgers, we got Dalvin Cook, we've got all of these weapons, and then like you just mentioned, T-Bone, you start the season off 0-2 or 1-3, and and you, these guys start to say, oh, well, maybe we're just not that good, and you can't get their mindset back. Whereas all of these other teams, like the Buccaneers being viewed an underdog, I could see them taking advantage of that. The same can be said about the Lions, and we all know the 49ers are going to be a tough team to play against. One more. Um, the question was posed, where was this? This was on ESPN T-Bone, asking if somebody this season can break Megatron's single season, single season receiving yards, which was 1,964. The only one that I would say can do it is Justin Jefferson, right? And the only reason I say that is because Jamar Chase, people are going to be talking about. Well, you got a lot of weapons on that one. Miami, you've got Waddle to talk about in that one. Stephon Diggs, maybe, but that's reliant upon Josh Allen being healthy all season long. Like Justin Jefferson, even with having Jordan Addison now to where now they have somebody else to throw to. Like Kirk Cousins is going to be throwing to Justin Jefferson in every desperation situation. Yeah, and I know how this becomes a easy kind of question to ask because there's more games played now now that we're playing 17 the regular season right. rather than 16 at that time. But no, I don't think anybody will beat it this year. And I actually think I'm not going to put it in the the list of unbreakable records like Calvin Cal Ripken's uh, um, consecutive game streak. It's not there. I think this is going to be really tough to beat and a lot tougher than people people think because. Like Justin Jefferson, for example. Yeah, he had 1,809 receiving yards last year. But his targets started, his targets didn't diminish a lot, but they did come down once TJ Hawkinson got traded to Minnesota. Yeah. Hawkinson became one of Kirk Cousins' favorite targets. So now you've got Hawkinson that's still there, just signed a contract extension uh, today. And that you also just added in that rookie in Addison that you just said. Like, there's not a lot of teams no. that have one legitimate wide receiver anymore with a quarterback that's going to get them the ball and so the 314 says what about cooper cup stafford i, I stafford <laughs> going to be getting well the, with his young players stafford might be on ir by week three because oh, yeah. that offensive line is going to be terrible so i don't think cup can do it chris olave i don't know if he'll be able to do that just Derek Carr. so i yeah exactly so i i just see that being tough in terms of anybody being able to beat Megatron's record. You got to find a team that has one guy and the guy that finds his way to get open all the time, which is why Jefferson's the go-to one. But you're right. Now there's more options there. Everybody else on this list, like A.J. Brown, like A.J. Brown, you got to talk about Devontae Smith there and how much they run the ball. And then you got Jalen Hurts' ability to run the ball. It's going to be very tough. I'm with you. I don't know if it's unbreakable just because of how many games are played, but it's going to be very tough for an individual to try and accomplish that. I was trying to think back on that Lions team that Megatron was on. Who else did they have receiving wise? That's a really that good Matt question. Stafford had to throw to because I'm thinking back and I really can't think of one player that the Lions had other than Megatron that could catch passes. Yeah. Um, Chris Durham, Kasimus Osgood, Brian Robisky, Mike Man. Thomas. List of studs. Oof. Yeah, I was going to say their tight end was Will Heller, uh, Brandon Pettigrew, and then... Um, running backs now, weren't that great. Either. Let's let's be clear. There's a reason this team was four and twelve. <laughs> yeah, and somebody's got to score. This, this or stat pick up yards is incredible because we just said Megatron had this the record at 1964 single season receiving yards. Next closest was some guy by the name of Brandon Pettigrew who had 567 oh my yards. God, that's over double. 
Actually, it's three times as much as that. Boy, the uh, times in 2012 were bleak in Detroit. But hey, they had the Red Wings, so I guess it was positive. And they had the uh, Tiger or the yeah the Tigers. So Tigers were good around that. I, I was going to say they were good. The Red Wings were still good. So don't, don't worry about the. How lines. are the Pistons? Look over here. <laughs> yeah, Tanner Hendricks and Grant Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll hit the rewind next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101. ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Make sure you put it down on your calendar. September 22nd, Friday night. You could join 101 ESPN and Bud Light for Blues and Brews out at the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. You can get fired up for this blue season with Outdoor Street Party, which features live music from country music star Chris Lane and local blues musician Marquise Knox. Plus, you'll have appearances by blues players. You'll have alumni, food trucks, blues merch, 101 ESPN giveaways, and so much more. Tickets are on sale now, so head over to 101 ESPN com for additional event details and to purchase your tickets for Blues and Brews on September 22nd. That is the night before the first preseason game. So uh, we'll be getting things kicked off over at the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, Alex Ferrario with you as we rewind things today on BK and Ferrario. And we'll end it where we started with Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn. They're replaying the game right now on Bally Sports Midwest. And two outs in the bottom of the ninth for Mason win. I bet he gets a hit. I bet he gets a hit too. I'll put a lot. Of, I'll put a lot of money on this if somebody wants to bet me right now. But what I forgot about was his previous at bat when it was four three was he had two on and one out and he struck out. So for Mason win to be in this position with two outs at the end of the game down by one the last batter and to get on base that's a positive sign for Mason win. And then of course Jordan Walker going four for four. These two guys give you the ability to see the brightness of a future for a Cardinals team. Yeah, you got to love what you're seeing from some of the young guys for the St. Louis Cardinals. Walker's doing a really good job. He's been, for the most part, fairly consistent this year. He has had some um, downs, but he's done a nice job of bouncing back from those. And he's putting up a really solid rookie campaign. I think you're going to see Mason Wynn continue to make the adjustments. They're getting ready to show the 0-2 pitch from yesterday. Mm -hmm. And he does a good job to go down and get the slider that allows for him to get on base. And not only just get on base... He's able to hustle into second base for, and Absolutely. make it a double, yeah. even though they didn't end up needing that because Edmund hit a walk-off home run. But that speed's a difference maker, and we've seen his defensive plays already so far. And you've also got Nolan Gorman, who's just in his second year that's been playing well, though he's been dealing with some back issues. So I do like what the future looks like for the offensive pieces for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I also, and I mentioned this and we just saw the highlight again, I, I love the energy that Walker and Wynn are bringing to the Cardinals right now. I know it's the dog days the summer, they probably have one of those, uh, what are those called? The little paper rings that you put together and you rip one off after each oh, yeah, day. Oh, the advent wreaths or whatever that you put yeah. together. I'm sure they've got one of those for when the season ends. They but might have been putting those together back in April. Yeah, the energy they've been bringing to the team and the way they've been playing, you got to like it if you're the Cardinals front office and seeing it from these young guys that are going to be a crucial part, not just next year, but over the next five years for the Fr- Cardinals. Frankly, if I'm the Cardinals, that's what I'm evaluating more than anything right now. Players that have that drive when there's nothing to fight for. If that 
And I know that seems so weird because like, how do you judge that? Like this has got to be the worst time for a lot of these players in the middle of August when everyone else is talking about playoff reigns and you're talking about what your vacation is going to look like. But guys like Walker and Wynn, like, you know, they're going to be there, but a game like Tommy Edmond has, and we didn't even get to this. We'll get to this tomorrow, but a game like Tommy Edmond has, who has not had the greatest of seasons. He's been in and out. He's been injured. His offense has been bad, but he has been finding ways to still be an influential player for this team. Those are the players that if I'm cycling through who's going to be a part of my roster next year, I'd put a star next to it and say, yeah, he's a guarantee because these are the guys you need on your team rather than the ones that don't contribute when things start to look bleak. Yeah, I, I think it is important to kind of keep an eye on who, and I'm not saying that anybody's looking like they've given up on the year, but it is important to see guys like this that need to have a surge in the month of September. Yeah. We'll also get to this tomorrow. Who needs to have a big month of September for the Cardinals? Because I, I do think when they were really struggling earlier this week, last week, that it looked like there was some complacency yeah. where it was, well, I know I've got a job, so I'm just going to kind of go through the motions. To see Tommy Eben, who I think he has a job, but to see him continue to provide a spark to a Cardinals team that is out of it is a nice thing to see. And, and to the point of that, also showing behind the scenes like what it takes because you hear Ollie preaching about the preparedness of Tommy Evan, the yeah. studious player that he is. You want a guy like that around a bunch of kids that are down there in that locker room. You want Nolan Gorman seeing what Tommy Evans doing every day. You want a Mason Wynn to see what Tommy Evans doing every day. You want a Jordan Walker to see what he's doing every day and the work that it takes to not just be a big leaguer, but to be here for five plus years to be to be a big leaguer. That's the kind of guy you do want in your locker room. You also wonder if you're able to evaluate that via free agency. And I know we talk a lot about pitchers, but you're going to want guys who have been there, done that, and can give you that ability that otherwise you haven't been able to find like like the Mike leaks like those didn't work out but you really never were in that position in terms of Mike leak was the guy that you went to in bad situations you're looking at that that's why Aaron Nola I think is so intriguing to me because no matter what he's going to be there for your team that's how I it feels like when it comes to via free agency you're going to be evaluating this talent that you're bringing in guys who have been there done that guys who have been through the struggles but still found ways to be competitive in that realm you don't have a lot of that on your team on the pitching side, and now is when I think you need to reset that identity for your pitchers. Yeah, and I don't know if – I think you're right. I don't know if they have a guy for that for the pitching side of things. I mean, you haven't had that. I mean, think about what your rotation was. at the start. Other than Wayno, you had Wayno, but the Flaherty's, the Michaelis's, the yeah. uh, Steven Matz's, like these guys have just been a part My, of it. Michaelis is probably that guy right now that is kind of the leader for this rotation. But yeah. to your point, I mean, there are starting a lot of young guys, so I can understand where the difference is yeah. right now. So and that that makes sense. You got that in the bullpen also. So those will all be areas that we'll be discussing. But yeah, we'll get into that a little bit tomorrow with Tommy Edmond and others. If you missed anything from the show today, you can check it out up on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. For Grant Francis, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Fastlane is coming up next until 6 o'clock on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.